The electric chair. Fear changes everything. Welcome once again to the electric chair. My name is Midnight Corey, and I am your host in this adventure in horror that we're taking this week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you're ready for another long one. This is, I think, the longest episode of the electric chair yet. This baby is going to clock in on over four hours. And people seem to really like that. I know there are some people out there that are just really annoyed, that they, you know, and they have all this stuff to wade through, you know, these really long shows. But whenever I make these long episodes... That means that I got to talk to a lot of really cool people, that uh, I got to talk about a lot of really cool movies and books and horror stuff, so I'm having a blast doing this. So uh, thanks for listening, and join me on this crazy ride that we're taking. Now some really, really great announcements this week. Uh, I just announced that the electric chair is now available on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can now hear my show while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. On-demand news, talk, and more on your mobile phone or tablet. The latest episode is always available for you, no syncing needed, and no memory or storage wasted. Available on your iPhone, iPad, Android phones, and beyond. Downloading is easy. Go to Stitcher.com and check out your app store. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Stitcher for providing me with that uh, text that I just gave you. But no, it's really exciting being on Stitcher because I know a lot of people listen to podcasts that are exclusively on Stitcher. And uh, I'm actually one of those for the most part. I mean, there are a few out there that uh, I, I still listen to. Uh, that aren't on Stitcher, but for the most part, man, Stitcher is a fantastic platform to be on, and I, I seriously recommend that uh, you check them out. And uh, we're available there. We're did alongside a lot of other great horror podcasts. So uh, yeah, check it out, Stitcher. Thank you once again for accepting this this little stupid podcast into your uh, you know your whole lineup. So really, really cool. Um, also, you know, I talked last week about, you know, send me your feedback, your voicemail, your comments, your reviews, whatever. Well, now you have no excuse. You can do that directly through my website, electricchairshow.com slash contact. There is actually, as part of the contact form, there is now a little field there that you can upload your MP3 or M4A file. Um, now the M4A is the format that a lot of like phones and uh, like the iPods and things record in. So yeah, MP3 or an M4A file, you can upload that directly to me. So yeah, just record yourself leaving some feedback or a review, whatever you want to do, and uh, you can upload it directly there, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Got that up and working this week. Now, what do I got for you this week to listen to? It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff, like I said. Well, first of all, I'm really excited to be talking with author Joseph Souza. He just got his book out called The Reawakening, The Living Dead Trilogy, Book One. Um, now, I talked to him this week, and it, we have a great time. We talk about some movies, and man... A lot of fun. Um, but we mentioned during that interview that uh, the book will be coming out. It is coming out in paperback and, and Kindle and all, all that stuff. Well, actually, we recorded the interview a couple weeks ago, and since then, it has come out. So the links to where you can get that are going to be on the show notes on my website. So definitely go check it out. I have read the book, and 
it is definitely worth it. So yeah, but uh, Joseph Souza, a great guy, and I appreciate that he came on the show, and I can't wait for you to hear that. Now, my good friend of a long time, Misfit Boy, was so kind as to come on the show and review a found footage film with me called Atrocious, which uh, is available on Netflix. Uh, it is a Spanish film, and uh, yeah, we had a great time talking the other night. So you're going to hear from a man, Misfit Boy, who is doing great appearances on uh, a Little Dead podcast with my friend McPierce and Mike Zombie. Um, but uh, he, he's also starting his his own podcast, which he kind of announces during our interview. So uh, yeah, that is really, really exciting. But Misfit Boy is the man, as you know, as you know. And finally, well, <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, I really think you should follow me on Twitter. And it's not just for the, the stupid stuff that a lot of people say why you should follow them on Twitter, you know, for announcements and keep up with me and what I'm doing, whatever. Uh, you know, yeah, I put out a lot of stuff like that. But uh, I hang out there and I talk with people a lot. And every once in a while, sometimes if it's at night and whatever, and I have some time and the mood catches me right. I'll just be like, somebody, let's just do a random off-the-cuff segment for the podcast. And I've, I've tried it a couple times. The first time, nobody responded. I'm like, well, that was great. Well, the other night, I tried again. And Cenobite Dave from um, Devour the Podcast responded almost right away. And he's like, dude, let's get on Skype and just start talking. So hooked up with him. And then um, Maven Jamie also from Devour the Podcast, um, jumped on and she's like, hey, you need somebody else? And so I patched her in like halfway through the thing. And we had a great, very random discussion. And believe it or not, surprise, surprise, the whole thing just kind of migrated towards zombies. <laughs> you know, what do you know? So uh, yeah, that was a really fun time. I, I appreciate that uh, David and Jamie uh, came on just randomly late, like a Thursday night, something weird. And uh, we had a lot of fun. So yeah, sit back and enjoy. Now, before we get to all of that, I got some goodness for you here. You know, a, a couple things. First of all, um, on my other podcast, the Midnight Cory podcast that I did back in the day, um, I had this segment called the Real News Segment, and there are a couple people out there who said, hey, bring that back. That was really cool. And um, I don't know that I'm going to do it regularly. I'll just kind of talk about things as they come up, I guess. Um, but this this really concerned me. Um, well, not really concerned me. It just kind of piqued my interest. Um, now, we've been hearing all these stories just like in the last couple weeks, it seems, about these cannibalistic kind of happenings going on around the country and uh, weird things. And people are like, ooh, this is the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. And as a matter of fact, I got a call the other night from my nephew, who I couldn't be prouder of. He's in, like in, he's in high school now. And uh, he calls me up and he's like, hey, Uncle Corey, like, have you been hearing about all this? What's going on? He's like, I'm, I'm getting the machete ready. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's seriously all into it. it. It's really cool. And he sent me some links. Um, so he, you know who you are out there. He, you're really cool. And like I said, I couldn't be prouder of you that, uh, you know, you're all into the zombie stuff now because he really is. But um, so, you know, what do you think about all this? You know, just a few of them. And there are a lot going on. But uh, we've heard about this, some barrel of an unknown chemical washing up on a beach in California. Did you hear about that? Um, we've heard about people breaking out into these weird rashes and being quarantined. They don't know what's going on. Uh, of course, the big one, the man eating another man's face in Miami. 
And he was actually shot by police like seven times before he even went down. Um, there was the college kid in Maryland who ate another man's heart and part of his brain. Uh, the, the guy in New Jersey that stabbed himself like 50 times and then threw his intestines at the police. I mean, what is going on now? <laughs> a lot of people are like, ooh, zombie apocalypse, zombie apocalypse. And yeah, that's all fine and good. Um, yeah, other people are offering more rational conclusions, you know, reasons for why this is going on, such as bath salts. You know, the new kind of synthetic sort of designer drugs, you know, to, you know, the people snort and, you know, are going all crazy on apparently. Um, and that's certainly a possibility. Another one that I just kind of laugh at is uh, LSD. Oh, you know, LSD seems to be the evil that uh, is the cause for a lot of things in society. And, and very misinformed, misled people will say, ooh, LSD makes you go crazy. It makes you eat people's faces. It makes you stare into the sun. It, you know, like, <laughs> these people have obviously never taken LSD. Because if you take LSD, you're anything but violent. You're kind of the, the opposite, the polar opposite of violent. But I digress. A lot of explanations being uh, thrown out there for why all these crazy things are happening. You know, uh, just going back, I mean, it, over the years, a lot of very similar things like this have happened, and most of them have been attributed to PCP. Um, you know, we heard the story, what, there was that guy that, uh, like, ate the eyes of his, his little kid, and uh, another guy that, like, chewed off his leg, and, and stuff like that, and they're all on PCP. And I can totally see that. I mean, PCP is crazy, crazy, and make you do weird stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, tempted to adhere to the whole drug explanation but uh, i don't know what do you guys think i mean this, there's a rash of these things happening is this the bath salts thing do you think i mean oh, what's going on here this is crazy I, I, you know the one thing you know it's fun to think of this in terms of the zombie apocalypse that's a lot of fun you know haha <laughs> oh boy what are we gonna do let's get ready um but um I, again when we talk about zombies we're we're talking about the world of make-believe here uh, that's probably never going to happen. And uh, yeah, we can have a lot of fun with it. But when real things like this happen, uh, the zombie explanation is a bit of a long shot. But I don't know. Am I way off base here? Do you think maybe this is a zombie thing? I don't know. Let me know. I I'd be interested in the uh, what you guys think of this, what the listeners and my friends out there are, are thinking about all these crazy things. So yeah, yeah. That's my bit of real news for this week. Um one final thing before the show proper gets started here with all my fun guests um, is I got feedback from uh, a longtime listener, a guy that's been, again, back to the Midnight Podcast and everything that I've been doing since. And that is Mastiff Man. And uh, you people who, who know who Mastiff Man is, he's a great guy. Uh, I've talked with him a lot. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, we did the Troll Hunter review last week. And I said, well, the reason that uh, I, I decided to pick up and watch this movie is because there was a follower on Twitter by the name of Movie Voyeur who suggested that uh, I watch it. So I did. And I had no idea that Movie Voyeur was actually Mastiff Man, even though it kind of says it right there on his Twitter profile and everything. I'm, I'm oblivious a lot of times to these kind of things. You know, what can you do? But uh, anyhow, it was really cool. So he sent me a message this week regarding uh, last week's episode, episode six, and particularly Troll Hunter. He says, hey, Corey, I really enjoyed listening to the review. 
by people who got it and enjoyed the movie as I did. I cheered when Maven Jamie compared it to Jaws. Yes, someone else that saw that too. Also, the Muppet Noses. <laughs> um, I'd have mentioned the armor uh, reminded me of the guy who builds the bear suits in real life, which is, which is totally, totally on. Um, after watching this movie, it reminded me of the Wyeth painting I used to stare at at the Brandywine River Museum. Um, and he tried to attach a JPEG, but it, it didn't quite take. But uh, he, he gave me a link to the website, and he said, "Good, uh, good stuff." I don't know how you make time to post so much content every week. Um, so, a couple things. Thank you, Mastiff Man. I apologize that I didn't make the connection there that you were movie voyeur on, on Twitter. But I really appreciate that, and thank you for uh, you know kind of lighting a fire under my butt here to to, to watch that film because it's now one of my favorites. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as that painting, that is a really cool painting. I've never seen that before. Uh, I'll put that link up in the, uh, on my website in the notes for this episode. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're dead on, man. You're dead on about that. That reminds me of, uh, of Troll Hunter as well. Um, and, yeah, as far as putting out this amount of content every week, yeah, I don't know. I'm just really enjoying going the, uh, the route of doing a lot of interviews and talking with a lot of people every week. Uh, the, the time just flies by. I love it. Um, and I don't know. What can I say? I, I'm just very blessed to be able to talk to so many talented people in horror. And uh, we're going to keep this thing going. This is this is a lot of fun. So, Mastiff Man, thank you. And I encourage everybody out there to go send me some feedback. Go to electricchairshow.com slash contact and use the form. Use the form. Yeah, come on. So, <sighs> all right. I'm sick of talking here just doing my solo thing. Let's talk with some people who are actually interesting, not just me, because <laughs> I'm not interesting. But these people are, so let's get on with it. Thanks again for listening, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Do you like zombies? Do you like horror? Do you like comic books? Do you like science fiction? Do you play video games? Then you need to listen to A Little Dead Podcast, your place for... Daryl, are you down there? Mom! I said when the basement door is closed, then the Fortress of Solitude is off limits! Are you talking to your little friends on the computer? Mom! They're not my little friends. I'm a grown man. Okay. Well, do you want some soup? I can make a bowl of soup and a nice glass of chocolate milk. Okay. I'll be up in a minute. So check out A Little Dead Podcast on iTunes and on our website at alittledead.com. A Little Dead Podcast. Your place for full frontal nerdity. Well, I welcome to the show right now an award-winning author and a man with a great Boston accent. I love the sound of his voice. And he's also just recently written a great zombie book, the first in a trilogy called The Reawakening, The Living Dead Trilogy, Book One. I welcome to the show Mr. Joseph Souza. Joseph, thank you for joining me tonight, man. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I look forward to our discussion tonight. Oh, so do I. So do I. You were so kind as to send me a uh, kind of a preview of the book uh, before it hits shelves here. And I just have to thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate it. I was super, super impressed. So we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, you're a writer. You've, you've won a lot of awards, especially in a lot of your short fiction. 
Uh, you come from like a crime uh, sort, of, sort of genre, and this is one of your first kind of forays into more of a horror thing. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of your writing career and the path that you've, you've gone? Yes. Um, like I said, I have started out uh, with, the, with the crime. I, I have been a crime writer mostly, short fiction. Uh, I also have a crime novel. And I still write in crime, uh, in the crime genre. I won the Andre Dubuque Award in 2004. And uh, the um, Al the Blanchett, I runner-up in that for crime fiction. Um, but I had a vision one day of an apocalyptic vision of zombies. and Well, actually, they're called Living Dead in my, in my novel, not to... Not to confuse it, but my editor told me I'd <laughs> to call them living dead because technically they're not zombies. But I mean, in my mind, they're zombies. But I had this vision for um, a, a trilogy based on um, based on this idea that I had, and I started out writing. I just just you know I just started writing it for fun, thinking okay, it's a writing practice. And before I know it, in a month and a half, I had the reawakening written, and oh. um, it really flowed rather well. I thought it was a very novel concept. It's different from uh, from a lot of the other zombie novels that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a few different elements. It's got a great storyline. I think what I like about my novel, not to say, you know, I like all the stories. I read a lot of the apocalypse and no, uh, plague stories and zombies, but mine has a real concrete uh, plot line to it and real defined characters. Uh, the characters, I think, are what people really enjoy the most about this novel. Mm-hmm. And it also has a really intense plot line told from a first point person point of view, and it follows through in the in the second and third um, books in the trilogy. But it's a really tightly plotted. Um, it has its requisite gore, but it but it but it's told from the mind of an author. Um, so it's it, it's I think it's well described. It's well written, and I think people really enjoy getting in the mind of this author and being caught in Maine. And I think it's appropriate since we're going to talk about Stephen King movies that I, I live in Maine, mm-hmm. uh, but this novel takes place mostly in Maine. Um, I think that was you know, what gave me the impetus to write this novel. It, you are exactly right. It is very well written. Um, you have a great uh, grasp on the craft. Um, very easy to read, uh, very smooth. Um, it just goes by and it, you, you turn page after page after page and it, uh, it goes by really well because you did weave the plot, the narrative, uh, very well. And I really, really enjoyed that. And, uh, just to comment, you know, you, you're talking about whether you call them zombies or the living dead or anything like that. And, uh, isn't it funny how people's definition and interpretation of what a zombie is, is just so broad anymore. It's, you know, they can include like 28 days later kind of, you know, infected, but still alive kind of things, or it can include the living dead a lot of times, or sometimes they can talk and sometimes, you know, it's very broad. So it's really funny. It's like ice cream. Everyone's got a different flavor. Right. (laughs) I was today, I took my son and we went up in Portland, we went to the comic convention and you could not believe, I mean, you know, normally the comic convention is all superheroes and people drawing all kinds I mean, you couldn't believe all the zombie comics now that are going on. So I happen to be standing around, we're talking, and all of a sudden these guys are getting into an argument about slow zombies versus versus the fast zombies. And this gentleman is saying, I just can't stand the fast zombies. They really make me... so it's it's just so funny how people have a different interpretation of well, some people like slow zombies, some people like fast zombies. Oh know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I fall on the the slow zombie kind of camp uh, as far as preferences go. Now I still enjoy fast zombie movies. Don't get me wrong, 
Um, but uh, I do prefer the slow ones, and I was happy to see that you did have the slow zombies in your book. Well, I think it, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It depends on what you're trying to do as a novelist or yeah. even as a movie fan. It all depends what your motivation is. For example, in 28 Days Later, that had to be a complete, I mean, that was complete drag down knockout action because mm-hmm. the zombies can run faster than Kyle Lewis in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these zombies can jump, you know, hurdles and, and run and whatnot. So the act, the point of that novel was just to, just to be terrifyingly quick to have plot points which just moved really fast in mine, with the slow zombies are setting up contemplation. What are we going to do? The people involved. Now, I think it's going to be very relevant when we talk about the Stephen King movies that, uh, that we're going to talk about tonight, about throwing people in a situation and having the, the, the point be about the people's reaction to, this, to, the, to, the zomb- to whatever it is that's, that's happening in this right. case. The case zombies, whereas the fast zombies, you don't have time to think. You're running. You're you're moving from point A to B to do to you know helicopter to whatever. Um, so I think it, it depends what you want as as the creator, the author, or the movie maker. What what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I like them both. I think I prefer right now in my mode the slow zombies because I like I like to see what people thrown into a situation, how they react. Like say the mist. I mean, I think that's a classic when we talk about that tonight. We'll get to that. Oh yeah, that's my way right now, and I think that's what I what I'm demonstrating in the reawakening, how these people react together. Mm-hmm. And, our, our yeah. Uh, and you do actually a really original take on the whole zombie thing, which I really appreciated because there are a lot of zombie books out there right now. Uh, it's really hot, but you managed to work a lot of things into here that kept it really interesting and really fresh um, because there, there are some different quirks about the zombies and I don't want to give too much away um, because I, I want people to read this and kind of discover these things for themselves. But, uh, I really like some of the stuff that you wrote in, um, about the zombies, especially that you really focused on defining why the zombies are here. Um, because most stories leave it up in the air. It could, could be anything and they never try to explain it where you were, you went to some great lengths to kind of go into why they're here. And it was a, it was a philosophical thing and it, it, it got pretty deep. So I really like that. Yeah, I think I think that's what people are reacting to. That the pre-readers that are reading the book, uh, Mark jo- Juvenal of Dark River Press, ex- expressed the same thing. He said it's the first time someone's ever explained the real reason why the zombies are here and why they why not zombies in the grave can't rise up. Which um, I mean, he which he just called not to boost my ego or my my book, but he just called it the best zombie novel of the year. But I do add oh, wow. a spiritual nature in in the. In in the reawake the reawakening is a, is a spiritual aspect, and it's going to be surprising at the end. Maybe at the end of this book, at the end of the next, the other two, that you know, are the zombies are they actually a good thing or a bad thing? And my, there's a little twist in my zombie novel, especially at the end of this, about whether you know whether they are a, a positive force in nature or a negative force. Because the apocalypse, I think, one thing why people are so interested in in the apocalypse is because the times we live in. I mean, we're also it's just so scary, and there's so many things that can happen, tsunamis and bird plagues and, um, you know, all kinds of diseases, and I think it's on people's mind. I hear people talking about it, and I think it's something that people can relate to, um, even, you know, with the economic, the collapse of the dollar. You look at Europe and Greece collapsing and some of these other countries. I mean, this is something that people are worried about, and I think that's why I think it resonates with people, not necessarily a zombie apocalypse with everyone, but an apocalyptic story is something that we can all relate to mm-hmm. oh and the zombies just work 
as far as that goes, as far as how people, I think, are feeling in this world, you know, they're, they're feeling like they're the walking dead. Um, and I think they're a great metaphor for just a lot of things. Uh, so well, I think in my, in my book, I wanted to make people, you know, um, I wanted to have the zombies when they, the reawakening, you know, when people read it, they, they actually reawaken for a short time. I want, I, I just didn't want them to get up and start eating people. That that's not the point of, of my novel. Mm-hmm. It, there's a point. I wanted them for for short it's just to realize that they're coming back for. There's a specific reason why these zombies are coming back, um, and I think that's going to be. I think it makes it much more interesting for people because the zombies do have a mission. They do, you know, they're not just. It's not just flesh eating, you know, because zombie like a lot of books zombie books are sort of like porn in a lot of ways. You know, you get to this, right. you get to get, hurry up and get the quick plot out of the way so we can get the f- eating flesh. <laughs> right. Exactly. You can only get so, eating so many brains before people get bored. After, <laughs> you know, you have to have a good story. Yeah. And I think that's what I have in mind. I think I have a really good story that people who like literature and books can relate to, but it does also have this other element of, you know, it does have, I don't go heavy in the gore. I'm not as heavy in the gore as some other people. It's more about story how people react, how people, you know, how people change because the main character in this Dar, I'm finding people are just so intrigued with my, with this girl Dar Mm -hmm. because she goes from a frightened, depressed teenager to the end of this novel. She's just, you know, draconian. She's something that, uh, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think something that's really important in any story, first of all, to be character driven, a study in the characters, you get interested and invested in them and then everything else falls into place around it. And you really don't need a lot of gore. I, I, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the show, but, but a lot of even great horror movies, um, a lot of the greats are so effective psychologically and from a character standpoint and a plot standpoint that they don't need a lot of gore and a lot of violence and, and crazy things. Like, I don't know, uh, the, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I mean, actually very little gore violence on screen. Uh, a lot it's implied. You're invested in these characters, and it's effective in that way. So that's a, that's a really smart way to get, uh, go about it, uh, to engage the, uh, the, the readers without, like you said, almost being a porn kind of thing where, you know, you just want more and more and more gore and don't really care about any real deep plot or, or things like that. So, well, that's why I think Stephen King is such a great writer. And you know, I mean, he doesn't have that much. His his are all character studies. I mean, the horror comes in the way people react, and I think that's what's great about Stephen King and why people relate to his work and his fiction so much. And even the movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at his movies. I don't think there's many that are really gore filled. I mean, the ones we'll talk in tonight. There's some in the mist, but overall, it's it the the frightening aspects of the people's reaction. Right. And the same as far as zombies goes, you look, I mean, in my mind, from all the zombie movies I've watched, I still, I, I, I still love Night of the Living Dead. I mm-hmm. still think that is, and there's gore in that movie, but there's, it's limited. Right. But when that little girl just raises up in the basement, you know, that still sends a chill down my spine today. The black and white, just the documentary style of that movie. I, I'm sorry, I don't think there's any movie that, zombie movie, that still competes with the Romero classic. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It is it's fantastic and it uh it is light on the like you said a little bit, but overall it's a study in those characters and what are they doing? They're in this farmhouse and how do they react to the world falling apart around them? And it's it's brilliant. So, I I'm, I'm right there with you. I uh 
Yeah, I love that film too. It's one of those ones I saw it when I was a little little kid, late at night one Halloween, and it just it affected me for my whole life. That's why I'm so screwed up now. I think you know it's because I saw that when I was little and couldn't sleep for weeks. But it's called character, right? It's not yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but um, you know, you have a lot of other things that you're you're uh, having to say in this book um, because one of the things that you stress a lot is this uh, the science aspect with the genetically altered food and um, things like that. So you're exploring some other issues uh, with this as well, not just, uh, you know, the, the spiritual, like you were talking about, but there's a lot going on there. So um, genetically altered food, is this something that you're seeing now in real life that uh, is a, a concern or maybe a kind of a passion of yours or something that you wanted to write about to work into this novel? Well, I think, you know, you look at genetically altered foods and you look at what's going on so much of the foods we eat, and we don't even know it now, are genetically modified. Mm-hmm. Um, they're finding there's, there's genetic, it's changing the genetic structure of animals and humans. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, you're, we're eating genetically modified foods, and, you know, pretty soon, as it, as it takes place in the reawakening, fairly soon our genetic code has changed. That's uh, scary. I mean, it, it's, it's theoretically possible yeah. that... You know, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not saying zombies, but there's something really, you know, some sort of plague or genetically modified disease or bacterial disease. There are known bacterial diseases in the intestinal tract that are caused by some of these GMO products. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It's, it is scary. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it got me thinking when I wrote this that that's, you know, that uh, if you get to the end, I don't, I don't know if you get to the end, but when readers get to the end, they'll see. Um, that it's also a corporate conspiracy, and they'll they'll see the you know what the what happens with the corporation as far as the geneme- genetically modified organisms and how they deal with that uh, at the very end of the book. I think people will be surprised, shocked, as well as entertained, maybe scared too, and they might know they may go they may go to Whole Foods more, maybe promoting the stock of Whole Foods. <laughs> but I tried to write this novel. It's it's sort of also a somewhat a little bit of a and I don't mean to make it intellectual, but it's somewhat of a philosophical treatise as well, mm-hmm. religious. Um, I grew up a Catholic in Boston. My mother's from South Boston. And that's probably the impetus because I, I used to live in, in Boston area, went to school in Boston. And so I, I worked in South Boston with Whitey Bulger. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Whitey Bulger. Oh, yeah. Wow. And my mother lived in the same. She grew up in the same buildings as Whitey Bulger. And I worked in South Boston for seven years, so that's where my crime, a lot of the crime fiction uh, that that interests me in the beginning, that's where I got my start. That's yeah. where it comes from. That so makes curious, sense. So curious. Huh. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I do know, and this is, this is no, very I'm interesting. Just, just to make this point clear, not mm-hmm. just, just going to say, because I grew up in Boston, and I grew up Roman Catholic, it's part of the other thing, it's, it's also... The growing up as a Roman Catholic, okay, this is going to be, I think this is kind of interesting, I, and I haven't heard this in other books, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. um, the, the, the Eucharist is actually, when it gets the transubstantiation, I think I, can't, I think that's the name of the term, when the priest blesses it, it, it the, the host, wafer host in the, in the wine, it actually becomes the literal blood of Jesus Christ right. in the Catholic race. So I thought that, you know, that's cannibalism technically. Mm-hmm. So you're a Catholic, you're a cannibal right. because technically it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You're exactly so I thought right. that, and I and incorporate that in the section of the book uh, near the end when they're, um, you know, hungry and he keeps thinking about the whole 
you know, what makes the cannibals and what a shark and what makes a person different from a shark, a crocodile, or any animal that, you know, that eats other animals. I, I incorporated that in the book, and I thought that was kind of interesting with the, with the Roman Catholicism. That is. Book. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. And, and talking about the animals, too, um, you know, right at the beginning of the book, actually, the first, quote, zombies or the first living dead that we see aren't human. They're actually animals because they're, uh, they're on the farm. And they start seeing these animals acting erratically. And they end up being these, uh, these living dead animals, which you don't always see in every zombie book. Some people don't think the zombie animal thing works. And other people have used it. Brian Keene has used it very well in his books and, and uh, a lot of others. So uh, what made you decide to, to work animals into this as well as humans? So it's not like an exclusive um, infection or an exclusive occurrence just to humans. Well, see, it, it starts off with the animals it, because they, they when the when the cow in the beginning of the book bites Susan, one of the, the one of the people living on the farm, she receives half of the genetic material from the animal. So it keeps going half, half, half every time until it's fully almost you know 100% human. But that's where the GMO comes from. The animals, uh, mad cow disease, um, is incorporated in this. The gym, you know the pollen spores that are created by these genetically modified food products that they're growing experiments. Um, so that's where it starts out. It starts out in the food chain. Just like, I mean, they just found a mad, you know, a cow with mad cow disease out in the West Coast. Um, you know, and that could, that is how it's transferred to humans. You know, we eat the animals or they bite us. So just like in AIDS, AIDS was transferred from, 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 I believe, what, chimps or, you know, uh, in Africa. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what they say. So that's how, you know, I mean, it's, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. or uh, passed on bubonic plague from rats or from the fleas uh, from the rat. So epidemic diseases throughout history have just a fascinating study on how, how genes are passed, you know, from, from other, from other animals to human beings. So it's, it's a fact of life. Wow. You, you really did a lot of, I mean, did you do a lot of of research and a lot of homework for this? Cause it sounds like, I mean, you're, you're working in a lot of a lot of really interesting kind of scientific things here. Um, were these just things that you were already aware of, or did you kind of research these, or how did those come about? Well, you know, you know I have a master's degree in history from Northeastern, and when I studied oh. history, I, I never liked the general history, you know, the lineage history. history. You know, know this date, know that date. So I, I studied more economic history, and it was more mostly... Uh, diseases throughout history, uh, you know, plagues, uh, population control, demographics, and I found that to be much more interesting. I mean, I think a book that everyone should read if they're every high school senior, college freshman is Guns, Germs, and Steel. I don't know if you've read that book. No, I think it won the Pulitzer Prize, but I can't remember the author's name. But that is just the most fascinating study of of, of how society grew because of germs, guns, and steel, and, and how they progressed just because of, you know, epidemic diseases and uh, war. Um, and I find that economic history is the most, you know, population study, ep- you know, epidemiology, sanitary, provides the most interesting, realistic, uh, historical information for us. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, I'm, I'm going to definitely look for that. And uh, and read that now. Yeah, it's a great book. book. You won't. I mean, literally, won't be able to. If you if you're interested in history, you won't be able to put that one down. I think. Oh, cool, cool. Well, it's something else that's interesting about you uh, that I found out just you know reading your website a little bit and 
everything was that uh, you actually worked in the organized crime division of the DEA for a certain period of time. And did. Uh, so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's a little bit intimidating there. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility, man. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. that's pretty crazy. So I, I take it you were, you were also drawing uh, things from that experience as well to, to work into this. Yeah. I have, I've had, I've had luxury of having a lot of jobs in my life and that was one of them. That was really interesting because we, uh, um, <clears throat> We saw a lot. I was top security clearance, and we saw a lot of stuff there that was just—I mean, from the Colombian cartel. Um, one of the one of the cases I worked on, it actually became a movie. The uh, the Enrique Camarena story, but one of the agents got killed uh, by by he was an undercover, got killed by one of the drug lords, and uh, yeah, it was. We saw a lot of wow. it was a lot of interesting stuff in there. Those guys do the agents. It's amazing what they go through. So yeah, I've, I've had some history, some background. And, uh, you know, dealing with some of that stuff. Wow. Wow. I love it. And, uh, yeah, you can tell, I mean, just, uh, you, you know, you know what you're doing and, and you're, uh, you're drawing from a lot of really great places and it works into this book. So I really applaud that. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying the work and it's going to be out on uh, Amazon here really soon, right? Yes, it, it should be out. Hopefully I had a formatting problem with the book and it, that's why it's been delayed a little bit, but, um, it's funny, you know, some of these places they can create a good format for Kindle, but on the iPad it looks terrible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on it now, and I've got some, and hopefully it'll come out. It should be perfectly formatted, um, and I think people will really enjoy it. I'm going to have a three day where I'm going to sell it, you know, for ninety nine cents, just introductory to people. I'd like them get reading that because the next one, the Apocalypse, is just a blockbuster. Uh, just it's it's going to be kid. And when they read the first one, I think they're going to really want to read the second one. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have a plan now? You said you're almost done with the second one. The second um, one, I'm just about done. I'm just, uh, this is a, this is a long one. It's, uh, it's not told in the first, it's told through Dar. She's running a, a survivor camp in the middle of Boston, the Boston Commons, and she's a ruthless dictator. Um, oh, wow. And, um, she holds what are, if you're familiar with the old Rome bread and circuses, mm-hmm, right. she has, she has, Dead in Circuses, which she has a rock singer there that's in the camp singing. She has it lets in the dead in, and she has you know she has trials where people have to face off against two of the zombies, a uh, hundred of the zombies, depending on their wow. crime. So she rules with an iron fist. Oh, I love it! Oh it's, man, <laughs> this sounds great. There's millions of zombies surrounding the camp, pull, pushing on the fences, and she's. It's 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 a tense novel. It's really going to be a blockbuster. Awesome, awesome. Now, do you have a, a clear plan for the third book, or are you just going to kind of let it let it simmer for a while? Or I've got the third. I've got the third book. The third book is going to be the post apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got the third one. Um, I believe I have the name called the. It's going to be called Undertone. Not definite, but I think that's what it is. But I do have a clear plan for that one. But I just have to get this one ironed out first. And I have a great, I have a great editor. She's like the king of zombie editors, Felicia, Felicia Sullivan. And I have a great cover artist for my. If you, if you, I don't know if you've seen the cover of my book. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's just, it's just stunning. Uh, if people, I hope people get a chance to see it because Jerome Ten. Burge did a, just a wonderful job on it. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing. Just the, the level of detail and how, I mean, it just, the colors feel apocalyptic, you know, <clears throat> and it, it, it really just comes out and it strikes you. So yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, 
So let's talk about Stephen King. I mean, you said, you know, he's one of your favorite writers and he's one of my favorite writers, Uh, does what he does so effectively. So what is it that that draws you to him? What is it that uh, inspires you when you read Stephen King? Uh, You know, Stephen King, he wrote a book about writing. And it's, it's a great book. Yeah. Uh, you have written that, re- read that book? Yeah, yeah, it's and fantastic. It just, it's just so instructive about writing. And what I like about Stephen King is that, you know, he there's no airs to his writing. He tells a story. He tells it cleanly. He tells it in such great detail. Um, and especially, I, I mean, I especially am drawn to his earlier stories. Um, yeah. Some of his later ones I haven't read. I haven't read all of them. He's got so many of them. I've read his short, some of the short stuff. He's got so much out there but i just love his style i just love the way he i I just think the way he tells a story his 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 drawing of characters is great um just i just think he's a great writer and i think he really evokes a sense of Maine and that he really loves this state yeah really does he's such a generous guy he gives so much to the community but he really when he writes about maine he really puts a lot into it a lot of thought and he i think when people read it they really have this image of maine Oh yeah, and, then, uh, and I think that's something he's created this landscape, this fictional landscape for people that people can relate to. As maybe someone can relate to Elmore Leonard and some of his fiction, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, Robert Parker with Boston, or uh, Elroy with L.A. Um, I think Stephen King is the king of Maine. I mean, he really is in that sense, and I think that's what's great about him. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was going to ask you about that. You know how personally it, it hits you because you're from that area, and that's where he sets all the stories. So it it has an extra something for you, which people like me don't get. Um, but I now I, I do have a clear picture. I'm, I'm trying to think. I've never been like I said. I've never been you know really north of uh, New York, southern New York. So I really have never experienced that firsthand. But a lot of how I picture Maine is how Stephen King has depicted it, you know, either in his his writing or the movies that have been adapted from his writing. And uh, that's, and I, I love it. I really I think, love it. I think it's almost a benefit not to live in Maine, in a sense, to read Stephen King, because I live in Maine and I have these, I know what the real Maine's like, but when you're <laughs> outside of Maine, you have this Stephen King fictionalized view of Maine. So people coming to Maine are going to see, you know, they want to see, you know, parts of the dead zone. They want to see, you know, whatever, you know, whatever scene he's depicting, they want, they, this is the image they have in their mind that they've created this fictional world. And sometimes it's a disappointment when they come, but um, I think it's so great. I love when an, when an author can, when an author can define a landscape, a certain area, just like, like Robert Parker does with Boston. He mm. does a thing I love Robert Parker. But when, when an author can do that, I think he's just done a wonderful job. Like, I, I love this English writer, Martin Amos, and he writes about London. Um, he just does such a great job. He just has this visual. You just have this view of London in your mind when you're reading his prose that just, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it, it takes a special writer that really can put you there and make it attractive. And it makes me, you know, like I said, I, I romanticize, I guess, the this Castle Rock area, but basically representing, you know, your typical town in Maine, small town. Well, you and, know, what's funny about that, uh, and we'll, get, we'll talk about the movies, but it's like we'll talk about uh, we were watching, you know, you watch The Mist and you think, oh, that's you know, you know, that's really something. That's beautiful. When you see the mist coming off the mountains, well, those mountains are really high. <laughs> mountains like that that come off the water. You know, the movie was actually shot in Louisiana. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of funny. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the, the Dead Zone, which we'll also be talking about, was actually shot in Canada, I believe. That's right, Toronto, I believe, right? Toronto. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, during an especially uh, snowy season. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> what I like about it is that, you know, he manages to make location a character. I mean, if you think about yeah. Steve, what's his, what's his main character all his book, Maine? Right. Uh, you could say his main character is Maine. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about these movies, because I love these two that you picked. Um, let's talk about, uh, the older one first, the dead zone. This is the original dead zone from 1983. Um, was there a specific reason that, uh, you wanted to talk about this tonight? Ah, oh, geez. I, you know, it's my favorite Stephen King movie. I tell people it's like, say, Oh yeah, we talk and what's your favorite thing? We talk Stephen King. And I, I said, I love the dead zone. The dead zone is my favorite Stephen King. And I love, um, the shining. I do love the shining, but, but for some reason, just the dead zone just freaks me out every time I see it. Yeah. And maybe it's because John Walken, you know, after, as he got old, he played in so many dumb roles. <laughs> kind of a watered down character, but he's played in so many awesome roles too. Yeah. I mean, some, of his, some of his, some of his cinema and acting is some of the best in, you know, a true romance. There was a, there was a scene in that, I believe. Brilliant scene. Oh, yes. Just unbelievable. It's like, <laughs> Joe, why are you putting yourself in all these stupid roles? As you go, oh, no, okay, you have to make the payroll. I understand, but Dead Zone, he's awesome in that. He just plays. It's just such an. Uh, I love subdued, low key movies like that that just kind of blow you away. And that movie, and the, that to me is one of the top endings in movie history for me. Yes, movie. Yes. There's movie endings. Seven's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Usual Suspects. Dead Zone. Just and even and even The Mist. I mean, I oh, love. Yeah. You know some that. It's controversial. Some people don't. Most people don't like it. But hey, um, yeah, I love the Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's. How can you not love Martin Sheen? Oh, exactly. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they had some great actors in this, like you said, Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, um, and uh, just to give a little run through. I'm sure everybody listening, ninety nine percent of you have seen this, and if you haven't, shame on you. You got to go out and see this as soon as possible because it's fantastic. But uh, Walken plays a, a character named Johnny Smith, who is a school teacher. He gets in a car accident, and when he comes out of this coma after five years, he finds himself having these these crazy uh, psychic abilities. They call it, what, the second sight, where he can touch somebody. And he can see either what is going to happen to them, what has happened to them, maybe uh, something uh, around them that's going to happen. For instance, he touches the nurse at the hospital and he sees that at that moment in time, her daughter is trapped in their burning house. And, uh, and then there are, there are other times he touches the corpse of the rape victim that they find uh, at the gazebo. And he sees that whole final scene of her, her, you know, the last minutes of her life uh, flash before him. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things, but they call it a second sight. Um, and in this town, I, I believe, is it Castle Rock that they're in? Castle Rock, I believe, yeah. yeah. Castleton, no, Castle Rock, yeah, you're right, it is Castle Rock names, right? Yeah, um, yeah. but there are a lot of killings, uh, a lot of uh, rape killings that's going on, and the police can't solve it, they're baffled, so of course they come to come to Christopher, or to Johnny, and uh, they say, hey, can you help us out? And he's torn, he's torn up by this whole thing, he doesn't like having these powers, he thinks... You know, he has a monologue in there about what God has done to him and, you know, oh, God's really, really been great to me, you know, and just as a, as only Christopher Walken could deliver it. You know, it's just fantastic. Um, well, the good thing I like about it, too, is it's just, you know, it's got that old 80s soundtrack and that feel, yeah. it's just like a slow creeping feel to the movie. It's got such a very 
atmospheric feel to it the whole time, yeah. which really it's kind of creepy. And I, I remember my kids were watching it. Dad, this movie's creeping me out. And, and you know, and there's really not much gore or violence in the movie. But what I like about what he does, there's just you know, there's there's deeper stuff in here. It, um, mm. You know, he sees you know the, his doctor coming out of him is a is a Jewish Holocaust survivor, which is fascinating. Um, you know, I, I love, there's a scene in there, there's a small scene after he's, because he's slowly, de, you know, degenerating after the, after the brain injury. And there's a great scene in there where he's given a press conference after he saved the girl. And the reporters ask, you know, you know, giving him a hard time. And uh, he casts the guy up and he shakes his hand. He says, do you really want to know when you're going to die? You know, do you really want, and the reporters just, you know, he doesn't want to know. He, he just, you know, do we, do, does any of us want to know what happens in the future? What? you know, what's going to be the outcome. But I, I just love the scene, you know, where he goes, the Jewish doctor was separated from his mother during the Holocaust and he realizes that his mother is still alive. I mean, that is just, it's you know, that that's just deep. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it's great. And then uh, he also explores politics uh, which we see in the latter part of the movie with Martin Sheen's character. That's the that's the big shot senator uh, who is quickly moving up the political ladder. And uh, of course, one of the big things and, I, I, you know, I hate to spoil things, but, you know, this this works into the, the theme of things and, and to the whole 80s mentality, you know, because uh, Johnny touches, shakes his hand and this whole scene flashes before him where uh, he sees that he becomes president. This Martin Sheen's character becomes president and uh, actually drops the bomb. He's put in a situation where he, he launches a missile strike uh, against the Russians and uh, starts bringing down, uh, you know, well, it's implied that, you know, that's going to be the end. That's going to lead to World War Three, and that's going to, you know, unleash all sorts of, of evils. So, of course, Walken takes it, or Johnny uh, takes it upon himself to... Uh, see that uh, Martin Sheen's character does not go any further. And uh, so that's where we get to the end of the movie and, and uh, some really, really great things. A great ending plays out. And um, well, so. what you mentioned, uh, what I like is what Cronenberg does in this film. That is, I, I don't know. I think it's really brilliant the way he, Cronenberg's great, but what yeah. he does is he actually puts him right on the scene. And he's not just visiting from a, like say third person scene in his memory. You know, when he's on that little, um, uh, roundabout there where he sees the girl getting killed he's actually standing right there so you're actually like as a film watcher you're actually put right into that scene and it's it's very uncomfortable because you're right there and he's right there and you can't do anything yeah so, yeah he did the same thing with uh, the burning room you know because yeah. he he turns over in his bed and all of a sudden his bed is burning and he's in the middle of these flames along with the little girl across the room right and it puts you right there and you're right and I think you say it's really an 80s thing, but, I mean, regardless of your political views, how, some of these guys running today, I mean, you really think, you know, I mean, there's Greg Stilson's out there. Yeah. You know? I mean, regardless of your political views, there are guys out there that I think that would do anything, you know, to get, to get you know, to get total control. They really would. And, uh, you know, like I said, regardless of your political views, whether it's Democratic or Republic, I think it's very relevant politically today oh absolutely and i think what's horrifying too is i what i really like what Cronenberg does is that he puts johnny across the street from the park where greg stilson's having his big rally and anyone who hasn't watched the movie 
when he's in the coma, he was just about to marry his, you know, his girlfriend who he's in love with. They're totally just infatuated. Two school teachers. Well, she marries someone else, and they're coming up the stairs to get pamphlets for who? Greg Stilson. <laughs> I mean, is that was that just wonderful? I mean, was that beautiful? Yeah, the that way was. He did that? I mean, that was great. His girlfriend now is is working for Greg Stilson. Oh man, yeah. And uh, that whole relationship is so complicated, especially after the coma. <laughs> Uh, the things that that happens because, of course, he's still in love with her, but she's married. But she's uh, she obviously still has feelings for him um, because there are things that play out. And then there's the whole awkward meeting of Walt, the husband, uh, handing out still some pamphlets, like you said. And uh, so that's that's a whole really interesting subplot that uh, is weaving through here. Um, well, she's got a kid. I mean, you makes you wonder, would she really leave for Johnny? Johnny's obviously not well to dying. She's married with a child who with a husband who's obviously doing well. Um, you know, but she obviously still loves him, but she can't go back. I mean, he can't even support himself. He was living with his father. He's living in a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we talked about there, there's not a lot of gore in this movie at all. There's not a lot of violence. It is all atmosphere and it's so creepy. You're just everything that happens. You're just like, man, there, there's just something not right here. There's something very menacing going on here and you can't wait to find out how everything culminates and what happens but uh the one especially the scene i mean you want to talk about when i first saw it when i when he's working for you the scene he's working tutoring this little kid this shy kid and his father's this real big you remember that scene where he's the father is just this important businessman oh yeah got a million dollars and he's a type a personality or athlete and this kid is just sort of a quiet shy bookish type and he says okay we're gonna go all and play hockey on the I, do you remember that scene where yes. he's on the pond yeah. and when, when he ignores him and that ha- scene happens that was that just floored me that was you know when you live up north here especially with frozen ponds or something that scares the crap out of you wow. when they're not totally frozen it's something that everyone worries about because my son plays hockey he's a hockey player so when that happened, it was like, holy, that was terrifying. Now, if that's not horror, then I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah, because we were talking, you know, before the show about, you know, do you think this is really horror? You know, is this horrific? Is this more of like a psychological thing or kind of a supernatural thriller, you know? But you're right, man. I, I think this is totally horror. It's very scary. It's very menacing. And you're just, you're struck this whole time. You got this feeling and it's creeping up on you. It's a slow burn, and it's just really, it really gets you. And the time goes by really fast when you're well, watching I think this. We've been so accustomed to as we, as we, you know, in the, these modern times, we we think of horror as all these slasher films and with a centipede. It's you know, it's a gore. Who can outdo each other in gore? When yeah. true horror is not necessarily, in my mind, you know, who can produce enough gore? You, true horror is the, you know, Cronenberg's and the Dead Zone. Uh, your Alfred Hitchcock's. Yes. The people who could tell a story, and I think, in my mind, and I and I'm probably in the minority, but I think, I think in a lot of ways, special effects has ruined horror and has taken a lot of the horror out of it. Mm-hmm. Was become more of a spectacle rather than true horror. Right. right. Um, yeah. No, and I'm not saying there's no there's no room for gore because there is. Um, done well, I think it's you know you, it's a requisite for horror movies. But to just have a whole movie of you know slasher and gore. That's not my style. I respect anyone who enjoys it, but that's why I think I picked a little bit some of these other movies. 
I love it. I, I'm so glad that you did because uh, I do. I, I talk about a lot of those kind of movies, a lot of uh, the gore-heavy, violence-heavy, you know, thin plot movies. Um, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of those either. I want something that just uh, grabs me more, that I have more to think about, that there's more to say, you know, because we talk, there's a lot of themes going on underneath this. Uh, that are really interesting, and, and it gets you questioning things, and it can lead to discussion. And uh, I, I think that's a lot better. You know, fear and horror and terror is is so much more effective in your mind. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be shown it constantly on the screen. I want you to get inside my head, because that's where it's most terrifying. Right. I think the scariest thing if uh, about the dead zone, if we're, we're kind of concluding on the dead zone, I'd yeah. have to say that the... The most frightening aspect about the dead zone, in like you said, discussion and talking about it, is if you, you when John asked the doctor, "Okay, doctor, when you were in World War II, when you were a kid, if you had the opportunity to to kill Hitler, would you?" And he's thinking about it. He said, "I have the Hippocratic oath to, you know, not to kill but to survive." He goes, "Yes, I definitely would," which is, you know, it makes you think. Okay, there are terrorists out there, jihadists. There are people with all kinds of views. That have that view. That's their view. Yep. Whose view is right? Exactly. And it's his view of okay, I want to kill the Americans because they're going to kill. You know, I mean, he has this clear view that this Stilson is going to kill. <laughs> I mean, people have to ask themselves: Would you kill Hitler? Well, I mean, I you know, yes, in hindsight, you'd say that. But you look at everything that's going on today between terrorists and fundamentalist Chris Timothy McVeigh and and. Um, and that's in the in my second novel, Apocalypse. I have a character that has that same viewpoint. He's got the same, you know, who's to say that whose view is correct and who who sees that what the future is going to be. That's a that's a fantastic point. Um, that, that is one of the kind of most gripping uh, scenes in the movie. Uh, it's very it's one of those philosophical things, and it, and it does make you think. I I, I forgot. To, uh, yeah, I forgot about that that well, conversation. At the end of the movie, if if they don't have the Newsweek, what would people think of of oh. Johnny? Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's uh, there. There's just so much to chew on in here, and we could we could probably go on for hours just talking about this and talking about just the different nuances and 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 themes and discussing what's going on here. It's just it's that great of a movie, and that's why that's why it's such a great movie because you can do that. So, uh, yeah, thank you again for choosing this because yeah. uh, absolutely which fantastic. Leads you into, if you're talking we'll talk to the mist, which leads you right directly into um, <laughs> um, the main, the character, the woman character, Mrs. Um, in the mist. Oh, yeah. Bumper, right. Right. Leads into what her views. Um, yeah. And that that gets uh, it just gets crazy and it's it's yeah. scary at the same time but it's it's uh you know just it's slightly different circumstances um so yeah the mist now this is uh, much more recent this is 2007 but it was actually uh, adapted from a Stephen King novella from i believe the early 80s like 1980 somewhere around there it was in a, a collection of his but uh 2007, they finally released a version of this that they expanded, and uh, Frank Darabont, of course, was the director here, and uh, he, he was given license to change certain things, and he's the one that came up with the ending to this, and uh, which is another great, great ending. That um, was very controversial, but uh, hey, it, if you're going to have a great ending like that, then some people are going to love it, and some people are going to hate it, so... 
think that's just the mark of of greatness there. Um, but Darabont, you know, he did uh, the Green Mile, and he did Shawshank Redemption, and uh, this is this is his first uh, really uh, horrific, you know, kind of uh, monster horror movie that he did uh, for Stephen King. And uh, how did you think that uh, Darabont did? Have you ever read the original novella? Uh, you know, I didn't read this novella. It makes me want to go back and read it, but I, I have not read the novella on this one. He's, but I, it's, I think I'm going to go back. Uh, so, well, yeah. So one of these days I'm going to go back and reread the novella. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't read it. Not a lot. Uh, Darabont, uh, again, it, it's funny. I saw this in here, but did you notice? I don't know if you're a, a Walking Dead fan. Have you been watching yeah. the, the AMC? Yeah. Did you notice that uh, a lot of those characters, a lot of the actors showed up in, in The Mist? Um, yes. It, it was, uh, you know, Dale, uh, the character Dale, Jeffrey DeMunn, uh, he was in there. Uh, Lori Holden that plays Andrea, uh, Melissa McBride that plays Carol. You know, all these show up, and it, it is just really, really strange. You know, Darabont, of course, he di- he directed the first season and was working with all these actors, and then all of a sudden, here they are again in a different movie. And it's kind of right. like, wow, right. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we see this takes place again in uh, in Maine, and I, I don't know again if this. I can't remember if this was the same Castle Rock. You know, no, this is in uh, actually Bridgeton, which is an actual town. Oh, okay. Yeah, about forty-five minutes from Portland, right on Lake, uh, right on the lake out here. Lake, uh, yeah, yeah, very, uh, very beautiful area. Um, and they have this really violent thunderstorm the one night. It does a lot of damage, and in the aftermath, there's this mist that rolls down off the mountains and onto the lake, and it, it's kind of peculiar. But they don't, they don't think much of it. Um, so the, uh, the father that we're following, his name's David, uh, he takes his son, Billy into town with them. They're going to the supermarket to kind of get some stuff. They need to fix up the house and, and get some supplies and whatever. So they go into town, go to the supermarket. And this is basically where we are for the entire rest of the movie. Um, because the mist starts rolling in, people start panicking. They're, they're like these police all through town. All of a sudden, you know, something weird's going on. And then uh, all of a sudden, as they're in the supermarket, guy runs in with a bloody nose and he's screaming about something. You don't even know what's going on. And it ends up some really bad things happen when people venture out into this mist. And there's talk of these creatures in the mist and they're just bloodthirsty and you'll get torn apart. And the whole movie now is this big group of survivors are a lot of people in the supermarket. And uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on, what do you believe, and uh, what should we do? Should we venture out? Should we, you know, who should we follow? I mean, this is a big, big character study. You were talking about taking, taking your characters and throwing them into this crazy situation and then watching how they deal with it. Um, and this is, this is classic, man. This is a classic example right here. It's no different from, really, if you think about it, it's no different from the Walking Dead zombie movie, mm-hmm. except it's got these creatures who you really, I mean, there are scenes in there, but really, do they make, there's really not much of an appearance by them overall. No, no. You know, I, I was the surprised. The main drama is the, is the people, you know, and the way they change within the store and their interactions, um, which is, makes it, that's what makes the movie, I think, such yeah. a fa- fascinating character study. Of course, you have the great, Masha Gay Harden. Who, I mean, the acting in here, you know, for a horror movie, the, the, I think what, you know, what makes these movies stand out is you just have such great acting. In, mm-hmm. in The Dead Zone, you have, you know, you have Martin Sheen, who's a great actor, I think. Um, 
uh, Johnny. Um, yeah, Walken. Walken. yeah, Christopher Walken. All the actors, and there's the other character actors. They're all great actors. All those actors in that movie are all fantastic. This act, the same thing in this. Thomas Jane is great. Um, Toby Jones, he's my favorite character yes. in this. He's awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, um, Laurie Holden. These actors are what you know, really what make these movies so fantastic. Yeah, and that, that's what sells it. You know, you can have a, a horror story where it's written right and everything on paper looks great, but it's it's the acting that's got to bring it to life and uh, really make it believable. Because if, you, if you'd have even one or two weak uh, characters, weak performances in, in a movie like this, then I think it really takes you out of it because you really have to get invested in what's going on because it, it's a pretty outlandish story. You know, this mist and these... These creatures that eventually we see are like giant bug-like things and, and pterodactyl-like things and tentacles and stuff. So, you know, he, he's putting you into this semi-not-really-believable kind of world to begin with. So he's got to sell it on this character study, which, uh, like I said, is sold with the great acting. So you're exactly right. The acting is just fantastic. Even the mechanics. The two mechanics, uh, the the kid who plays the grocery, I mean, it's just fantastic, mm-hmm. and that which makes the miss which makes it such a great movie. Just the acting is so compelling. Yeah, yeah. Now, what'd you think? They used uh, CGI for all of the monsters. The the tentacles that we see, that's the first one. Then, uh, of course, everything that's flying at the windows and, and the stuff at the end of the movie when they finally do venture out. And we see some crazy, crazy, almost like, I was thinking like Lovecraftian when I when I saw them. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, these are... These are like the old ones here, kind of what I what I picture that Lovecraft was kind of seeing in his mind a lot right. of times. Um, but uh, like I said, it was all CGI. Yeah, but it doesn't strike you as the CGI. It doesn't strike you as completely, you know, like special effects. It seems almost it has an older, older feel to it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like these, spe- you know, like some of these special effects movies. It feels really natural. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think that's what you know. It's it's just the story is so compelling, and that the the mod, the the bugs are great. Yeah, when they come into the store and whatnot, in the very the end, that massive creature walking across the landscape. But the effects don't blow you away, and and you're not watching it for that because they really don't appear in it, you know, that much in the movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, thankfully, because I'm I'm not a big CGI fan myself. I'd rather see them do practical effects and actually build these puppets and that kind of thing. But they don't use it a whole lot, which really works to their advantage. Um, because like you said, it's all about the characters. It's not about the monsters, even though you got to have the monsters there. Um, so yeah, they don't try to just inundate you with special effects and try to say, Oh, look how cool this monster looks. We're going to keep them on screen for the next 10 minutes. And uh, you know, that's not the way it works. Everything's fairly quick. And um, isn't it interesting? I don't know if you have this version of uh, of the DVD. Um, my version, I, I bought one of the original versions of the DVD, so mine doesn't include this. But on the new collector's editions that they have out now, it's like a two-disc set, they include a version of this movie that's in black and white. Oh, is that right? No, I didn't. Is it really? I'd love to see that. I think it would be so cool. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I'd like to say, just let me add one thing that we've talked about the CGI and whatnot. I think, and not to get too deep with this, but I think since 2001, 9-11, I think CGI has been, you know, and I, I think what we saw in 9-11, you, you really can't, you know, compete with some of the horrors that we saw in that. I mean, everything is pale comparison to that 
real life horror. So I think we're so inured with with some of the CGI, and, I, and like I said, I'm not again. I, lo- I think a lot of it is done well when it's when it's integrated into a story. Um, and once again, I just have to say that the story is the main main feature of a, of a great film. And um, I think that's you know since we've had that, I think that's something that that has really changed cinema and changed the way we look at everything. That's really interesting because uh, do you almost think now that uh, in horror they're almost trying to distance us from real life, to distance us from all these all these real life horrors that we're seeing going on around us, and so they use the CGI in in a, in a way that would normally be maybe a little bit unbelievable or a little bit out there, a little bit of a stretch. So do you think they're they're doing that to kind of take our minds off of? what we see in real life that's actually really, really terrible. Well, I think, I, I, I don't think you can compete with that. I think people saw that and they saw the real horror. And I think everything is just mundane, you know, I'm saying mundane compared to the, what we saw in real life in 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, I think people are trying to compete with that. And you can't when it happens in real life. I think that's why we, post 9-11, we look at things in a lot different view. Mm. And I think when, that's why the story is Trump, because you can have all the, Men in Black and, you know, the, all the apocalyptic, these stories, do they really compare to the horror we saw in 9-11 with people jumping off the buildings and the fires and the plane crashes? And I, it just doesn't it, – it's changed the way we as humans view cinema, film, horror, everything today. What, what is true horror? And I think really the, the horror resides in the story and the people's hearts and human emotions. I don't think you can compete – now on a on a physical level with the destruction that had happened in 9/11 that was just i mean you couldn't make a horror movie as as, as terrible as that no no it's uh you know for me it, it really validated it, it's terrible what happened of course it's horrible but uh you know it almost me being a horror fan and i watch so many horrible images on the screen almost every day you know i watch a lot of zombie movies and people getting ripped apart and you know just a lot of a lot of really really terrible things but whenever you see something like the scene that we saw on 911 um it really it uh, validates my humanity whereas I, I i had to turn my head away from the tv screen the day i was seeing that news break um, with the, the the airplanes and the towers and the people jumping out and just the panic, the destruction, everything going on there, uh, I I literally couldn't watch, um, and it affected me in a, in a way that I, I just I, I can't describe, and it's probably never ever going to happen again. Uh, something that affects me like that. So I think seeing that uh, validated my humanity in, in that. Uh, I do value life, even though I'm watching all these movies and I appreciate all these movies of people getting killed and, and whatever. But, well, I think uh, it just goes to a basic, uh, you know, it's just a basic raw emotion of human beings and with yeah. zombies and the same thing and with all the horror movies is that, look, we're all, we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, is death going to be any worse from a zombie as it is from, say, a car accident, from cancer? I mean, we're all going to face it. People think, oh, this is horrible. You know what I mean? You're going to die from from a zombie. Well, we're all going to die. It's all going to be the painful or it's going to happen in one way or another. So the, so is is the actual being killed by a zombie any worse than being killed by a car accident or being eaten to death by a shock? Or, I mean, it's it's just a basic. And I think people, I think horror fulfills that 
raw human emotion it fulfills a need in people uh, it helps them deal with um, as I put in the reawakening death consciousness is you know is is religion is religion think about it is religion real or is religion in something created in our brain as part of evolution which is mentioned in the reawakening to deal with death consciousness now our dog doesn't realize it's going to die animals don't realize they're going to die we do is that why we have religion to appease our, you know, death, is that why we have, you know, to appease our feeling of death consciousness, or is religion a real thing? Because scientists have found that there is an actual receptor in the brain that is, that, whether it's receptive to religion or is a or part of death consciousness to help us cope with dying, something to think about. Wow, yeah, yeah, and, and we see that in the mist. I mean, religion is a, is a big theme uh, throughout the whole story in uh, in the supermarket as they're trying to survive because the the one character is really she's a bible thumper and she, everything that happens is because god wanted it to happen it's for a reason and look look how he's working here and and uh, she almost she ends up getting a lot of followers by the end of the movie and it's almost like a cult kind of kind of really weird thing going on she's whipping them up into a frenzy to where she's getting them to do things that are absolutely atrocious that, uh, it, I mean, if, if you were a true follower of the Christian religion, then there's no way you would ever consider doing any of these things because they're absolutely ridiculous. But she has taken it to a whole new level and has convinced people around her to buy into that as well. So there, there was a lot to say about religion in this movie too. Well, that's the whole point. You know, there's a difference between religiosity and spirituality. Hmm. Just going back to my book, The Reawakening, it's a spiritual reawakening. It's not a religious, you know, religious, she has a religion. It's full of dogma. It's full of Bible quotes. She's quoting from the Bible about plagues and whatnot. She's, this is why people are gathering on her side, because she's quoting the Bible, and it's actually coming to fruition in the movie, some of the, some of the elements that she's talking about. And she scares people. It's just like anything else in real life. That's how cults start. It's, it's fear more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets to the point where she is scarier than what's outside, and that's why a certain segment of the the people inside decide to leave. Uh, they think they have a chance outside because they see what's happening and uh, how she's poisoning the group. And well, that's uh, the, yeah. In this movie, that's the you know the frightening thing because the frightening part when I first saw this movie is that you know there were people, a lot of people, often themselves in the mist <laughs> before they even have a chance to fight it. Yeah. You know, you look at the soldiers, and there's a woman that overdoses, and you know people are you know people are killing themselves, and the, which is that's almost as frightening as anything else. They just give up hope. Mm -hmm. And and then we come to the ending of the movie, which I'm not going to give away, but wow, <laughs> I mean, man, I love it's really it. Amazing how many people just really don't like the ending. It just you know, I mean, I love the ending. Yeah. I mean, I'm not giving away the ending, but I just love. I guess I'm a dark. I love dark stuff. Yeah. And I love that he just didn't cope to the Hollywood ending. When I first saw that ending, I was like, holy bleep. <laughs> this isn't a Hollywood ending. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's so many there's so many movies that cop out. You have a great, you know, Hollywood ending. Zombieland. You know? you yeah. The, huh. so, but this is a dark. This is a really, you know, um, this is an interesting ending. <laughs> yeah. And I applaud Darabont for... Same thing, and you—it just throw you don't expect the ending. Yeah, I mean, I gotta applaud Darabont for having the guts 
to want to do this because I remember reading somewhere that uh, when he brought that idea to Stephen King, Stephen King loved it too. But the first thing out of his mouth was, man, the studios aren't going to like that. I can't believe they let him have that end. <laughs> I can't believe it. Right? Well, I'm thinking, you know, if Stephen King raises enough of a stink about it and he that's what he wants, I'm figuring the studios are probably going to, you know, kind of give him a lot of leeway. And what he wants. They'll give in to Stephen King. I mean, he's Stephen King. Come Stephen on. King. Gosh, he's got more movies out there than, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, The Mist, as far as Stephen King movies go, uh, how do you rate this? And again, it might be unfair because there's, I think there's eras of Stephen King movies like we were talking about. You know, we have the era of The Shining and Carrie and yeah. uh, The Dead Zone. And then we have more movies kind of throughout the uh, the 90s. And then now we have other movies like this and bag of bones and everything that we're seeing in the new millennium here. So it's almost unfair to try to wait. I think it ranks up there with his best personally. I really do. I think dead zone shining. I'm not going to put them at anyone. You know, a lot of people say the shining and I I wouldn't argue with the shining. I I personally like the dead zone, but I think it's in the upper, upper 10%, Mm -hmm. uh, 15% of his best movies. Cause there are a lot of ones, you know, that are just terrible. Oh yeah. Uh, Not to blame Stephen King, but you know, Cujo was, I didn't want, that was just terrible. There's, there's some, there's some bad, but there's some good ones too. I mean, there's some, you know, um, I, I can't think of the one that I like with, um, Oh, I can't think of the one where they're in Maine and the, the woman, her husband falls in the well. Do you remember that one? I can't remember. Oh, no, no. I like that one. I, I wish I could remember the name of the movie. Uh, but um, I do think the mist belongs in the in the in the upper echelon with his with his best movies. I agree. I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I didn't know anything about this. I'd never read the original uh, novella either, and uh, so I went into this just completely blank slate, and I was really really surprised. I just uh, I super enjoyed it, and again, great pick. Thank you. This oh, is this is a lot of fun. So definitely the mist. If you have not seen it out there, you, you got to see this one. Also, I think you're going to like it. And I, I especially now it's like I'm almost going to buy it a second time just to get that black and white version. You know, I think that it's would be great. Movies, it's one of those movies you can watch over and over because it's so there's so many different characters that you see and you know in different confrontations and side things and Toby Jones. I oh you know. When he takes over the store, when the manager tells him he's going to get fired, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you remember that scene? Yep. And, he, and he, you know, does anyone know how to use a gun? And that, Toby Jones, if anyone knows, is that nerdy looking chubby guy. <laughs> and boy, does he take over that movie. <laughs> he's, oh, awesome. he's good in all the movies he's in, too. Yeah. He's, in most of his movies, he's really a, uh, what did I just see him in? Like, Captain America he's in, and I think he's in The Hunger Games. He's really oh, yeah. a good actor. Good. Oh, yeah. That's Like I said, the acting is just so great. Because the movie and the plot revolves around character conflict, and that's the great thing about Stephen King and about these movies that is so exciting and fun to watch. Exactly, exactly. So, wonderful picks tonight, and uh, Joe, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, Now, where can people go? Of course, uh, the book's going to be coming out here real soon, and I'm going to be keeping people updated on uh, where they can go to buy it, of course, and it does. I I recommend that you do, because it's a blast. It's a great read. Um, and, uh, where else you have, uh, your website, of course, where yeah, people can learn about the, you. My website is, uh, josephsouza.net. And on that website, you can see the cover of my book. You can read all about me, my biography. You can read a review of the book from Doc River Press. It, um, 
you can read an excerpt. I've got a, a great excerpt in there. And if anyone is interested in just reading a chapter of the book, um, really riveting excerpt, and you'll learn about the character Dar. The book will be available on Amazon. Um, like I said, it's getting great reviews. It's a great cover. Anyone who's interested in cover art, it's just a dynamite cover. Um, and I think people really enjoy this book. And I think once they read this book, they're going to really want to find out what happens to the to the crew in the following books in the trilogy. Um, but look for it on Amazon. It'll be on Amazon. I'm going to try to do a special 99 cent for a couple days, um, so people can get so people can get the book. Um, and I'd love to hear from people if they like the book. There's something about they don't like. Um, anything they have any in issues with, if they just want to contact me and and talk and chat about a little about it, I'd love to hear from people about the book and about anything. And I had a great time talking movies, Corey. You're a great interviewer and great show, and I had lots of fun tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to get it, get together again maybe once book two comes out, and I can uh, talk to you all about that, and we'll maybe talk about a couple more Stephen King movies here, man. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. So, all right, Joe, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Corey. They say every house in America should have an electric chair. And every man just once in his life should sit in it, just so that he can feel the power of millions of gallons of electricity flow through his veins. I got an electric chair, that's all I need. You get an electric chair, Sheldon, you don't have to worry about the audience. You get an electric chair, you can tell them anything you want, as long as it's real. You get yourself an electric chair and I'll sit there all night long. Kind of a funny idea, sitting in an electric chair and doing a show. Well, think of the therapeutic value of an electric chair and all the money it is. Yes, sir, an electric chair in every home. The Electric Chair, a show about horror. Electricchairshow.com Electric Chair. I'm talking with somebody right now that uh, is a good friend. It's somebody I've wanted to bring on the show for a long time. I've known him for a lot of years. But right now, i got to welcome to the electric chair. I'm strapping him into the electric chair right now and giving him 10,000 volts. My boy, Misfit Boy. How you doing, man? Hey, Corey. How you doing, man? First oh. of all, thanks a lot, man, for having me on the show. This is like a real privilege for me. I'm, i I got to say, man, I'm honored to be here. Well, I got to say the feeling is mutual. You are uh, one of the guys that has been there throughout the whole time. The first thing that, uh, that I ever got from you, you know, we've, you, you've sent me a lot of stuff and we've hung out a lot. But uh, the first thing that you sent my way was a really great pencil drawing of Flyboy from, uh, from Dawn. And, oh uh, yeah, the Flyboy pick. I forgot about that. Very first thing, because you'd only yeah. you'd only been in touch a couple times with the Midnight Podcast. And you're like, dude, I got something special for you. You know, let me know if I can send it your way. And I'm like, yeah, go for it, man. And it's still literally hanging on my wall to this day. Oh, sweet, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what are you up to, man? I, I mean, you're you're a podcasting, not not on your own podcast, which you damn well should have your own podcast because you're just that good and you know it but uh i mean you are out there i mean you're doing well, stuff um so where can people hear you well i'm still on a little dead podcast with mcpierce and mike zombie i'm no longer doing the uh get in the zone segment it is now done all five seasons are done and over with i am now working on a segment that i call walking with the dead where i'm reviewing every episode of the Walking Dead. 
And um, I figure since I'm here now, I guess I suppose I could spill the beans now. In August, I will be launching my very first podcast. Yes. I've always said that if I was going to ever do a show, I was going to make sure I got somebody that's, um, I don't know how to put this, I guess not as in tune to horror as I am because I always like other people's perspectives. I mean, mm-hmm. all the way back to when I listened to the Midnight Podcast, I mean, that's what got me into wanting to do reviews is I've heard like, you know, so many great people on your show. Just, I'm like, man, these guys are great at reviews and that. And I always thought to myself, I'm like, I wonder how like somebody who's not really that much into horror. So I found a buddy of mine who's going to be moving to Atlanta and what better way to keep in touch with somebody than do a podcast. So yeah, I'm hoping to launch it sometime in August. That is music to my ears because <laughs> I have been telling you this and I know a lot of people have been telling you this like, dude, do your own show. You're that good, man. I mean, you know, I, you know so much more about film, about especially classic film because you're a big classic film guy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you are so much more knowledgeable about this than, than I am. Like, we should literally be switching spots. I mean, you should, you should, you know, be the guy hosting and I should just be, you know, some random horror guy out there, just like whatever. But, well, uh, you are that good. Smack. Oh. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying though? I, I'm really, really happy though, that, uh, that you're finally getting out there and you're going to do your own show. And of course, whatever I can do to, to help you out, man, you know, I'm here. So, well, Hey, so. You, you know me, man, I learned from the best. I mean, you've pretty much taught me just about everything I know about podcasting. I mean, when I first started doing reviews and everything, you were the ones that gave me all the ins and outs, and ups and downs and everything. So to this day, I appreciate it, man. Well, I appreciate those words, but I have to give credit where credit is due. And as far as horror podcasting goes, I came up through the school of root rot, you know, so that's, that's where it all came from, and I just yeah, uh, I uh, I spent a few years in his college also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and, uh, yeah, so but man, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, I, I gotta say, man, you know, you and I are both big zombie fans. Okay, we we both love the genre. It's our favorite genre, hands down. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that do know me are probably not aware that I am a big fan of found footage films. I am just a sucker for those kind of movies. And when you said the film that we were going to talk about tonight, I was, I got immediately excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be thrown off here a little bit, but this is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I am one of those guys too, man. It just about any found footage film out there just gets me right away. You know, I, I can believe it, you know, for the most part, there are a few out there that they're kind of bad, but, uh, for the most part, man, you can't go wrong with found footage for me. You know, they just, well, I mean, what is it about these movies that, that pull you in? I mean, is it the, is it the realism? Like you're actually behind the camera? I mean, what, what do you think is the attraction of these found footage films, man? Well, you and I both, like I said, we're both zombie fans. And how many times have we sat there and watched a zombie film and thought, man, what if I was in that situation, you know? When you're watching a found footage film, for me anyway, it is so easy to just throw yourself into the lead character or whoever's role it is that you want to because it's like right there in front of you. And ever since, you know, Blair Witch and, well, I don't know if you'd consider Cannibal Holocaust, but all the way back to... You know, those kind of films. Right. Right. 
Oh yeah. And yeah. and found footage is an easy way when let's say you're on Netflix or whatever and you're like, you know what, I just want to turn my brain off and watch a scary movie. Those are one of the best ones to do that with. Exactly. Exactly because they are easier to like you said kind of turn off and just let it take you on a ride. It's like getting on a roller coaster of horror, you know. It's it's really just being strapped in and and you're there. It's you know, I've I've kind of equated it to playing a lot of video games. And I don't know if you're a big gamer, but you know, I'd like to play Left 4 Dead and things like that. And it plunges you right into that situation. I mean, you're there. And Absolutely. You, you will get bitten by zombies if you don't do something, you don't do the right things. Right. And these films are akin to that kind of thing because you're right there. You're basically in the role of the guy with the camera. And it does something for you that these films that are shot traditionally... I just can't do. It's something more more visceral. Puts you right there. And I think what really kind of solidified me as a found footage fan is when you recommended that I, it was like the first time we met and you told me, and you, you've got to see Wreck. Uh-huh. And you were like, you know, forget about quarantine, but you got to see Wreck. <laughs> yeah. I went and I watched Wreck, and I will admit I was terrified. Yes. And I don't think I've been that scared since I saw Night of the Living Dead. Wow. I mean, that, that movie just, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just like, it's, you know, the thing with like found footage too is they do tend to rely on the jump scares. Yeah. It's all in the placement for me, like where they put them, you know, at what point. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you're expecting that jump scare, especially in found footage, even when you're like, okay, there's going to be a jump scare right here, it can still grab you. And that's exactly what Wreck did to me. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what just kind of sucked me into that particular genre. Yeah. 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 And what I admire about this also is that, um, you know, found footage, it looks like it's very easy to make and it's very random stuff and uh, that you can make it really cheap and, oh, anybody can do this. But it's actually very calculated. It's very scripted. It's very directed. Um, because those jump scares, I mean, everything is placed there for a reason. All the camera back and forth, all the shaky cam things are scripted into the film. So you're not seeing a bunch of random shots of people running around and, and whatever. I mean, this, this was actually calculated madness, if you will. Um, so I think to pull off a found footage film and to do it right with all these jump scares with... A, a certain level of character development where you actually find out about the characters and you kind of care about them and kind of who they are to do that in a found footage film, which banks on realism and rawness of just shot video that actually takes a lot more work to plan and execute than a lot of people give credit for. Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, we'll, you know, use like Blair, Witch for an example, <clears throat> after people came out of the theater, how many people do you know actually thought that was real? Oh, I was one of them. I got suckered into the hype. Yeah. See, I, I was, that was the first thing I started telling people. I'm like, you know, I find this hard to believe to be real for the simple fact that I seriously doubt that the parents of these kids are going to, you know, let some company, you know, <laughs> Exploit put this them. out yeah. And, yeah, and just make money off of it if that's, that's the case. You know, they're they're no better than Susan Smith or somebody like that, you right. know. 
But um, when I went to see Blair Witch, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, it's a good movie to see once, but that's it because the end gives it away. Hell, I went back and saw it three more times. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was it was that good for me. I, I was one of those guys. I saw it out of curiosity because, again, I was roped into it because I didn't know. You know, there were rumors going around that this is real. And from all the trailers and everything you're seeing on TV, you know, hey, th- wow, this could be. This is kind of weird. So I went to the theater out of curiosity. And I was alone. I, I was a total loser, like, going to the theater seeing this. Like, went by myself. You know, nobody else would go see it with me. I'm like, I'm going to see Blair Witch. I don't care what you all think. I'm going to go see it. And uh, I came out of there, and I was scared. Dude, I was, I was like, oh, my God. The last five minutes of that, that movie, it, it, it like, scars you. Yes. <laughs> it just literally yes. scars you for life. Yeah. I mean, you'll never forget that, you know, that the one guy just standing in a corner. Some guy just standing in a corner. That, that's never scared me more. And, and just affected me as much as that, that one scene did. I mean, I'm still getting goosebumps to this day. And what, I, I probably saw this right in the now. theater like 15 <laughs> years ago. I mean, it's something ridiculous. And it's still giving me goosebumps because it affected me that deeply. And, you, I mean, you got to give credit to that. I mean, something's got to be said for a movie that can do that to you. I mean, and come on. I think one of the most ingenious things of you know that particular film was the marketing. Yes, I mean, you take, what was it? I think it was like a 22-second clip that they aired on TV. And it was always late at night. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the marketing, wasn't it all done through the Internet? Yep. Man, that is just, in, it's, it's genius. Right, right. And they, they kicked off a phenomenon. And they, like, they, they spawned their whole, like, sub-sub-genre of films. And, I mean, it's interesting you bring up, like, Cannibal Holocaust as you know, kind of one of these found footage films, which it kind of is, you know, it, it's when you think about it and the kind of footage that is used, that's, that's pretty much what it is. But it wasn't, I mean, that, Cannibal Holocaust, you look at that, it's exploitation. It's in a very obscure segment of horror that not a whole lot of people, not the mainstream was really into at the time, or even now, you know, mainstream horror fans haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust. But, uh, dude, if you're a mainstream horror fan, if you're any kind of horror fan, even a, a, a marginal horror fan, you know Blair Witch. You know Cloverfield. You know, you, you know probably Quarantine. And so you're familiar with found footage as we see them now. Now, and, I, I got to tell you, man, Cloverfield itself was... That was a, a double plus for me because, you know, like you said before, I'm nostalgic. I love the old 50s giant monster movies, mm-hmm. and I love found footage. So when I heard about Cloverfield coming out, and I'm like, wait a minute, found footage with a giant monster? And, you know, I'm dragging my wife to the theater. I'm like, you're going to see this. I don't care what you say. You're going. I will get you so drunk out of your mind. I don't care what I have to do, but you're going. Yes. Turn around. She ended up enjoying it. Awesome. Yeah. And and look at where found footage is gone now. You know, you have almost every genre now. You have your serial killer found footage in uh what was that uh wasn't that man behind the mask oh yeah so you have your serial killer you know you have your demonic possession which was the wreck franchise Mm -hmm. you have the giant monster which was cloverfield you have your your ghost and that which was blair witch and you know so many other ones that were out there 
Oh, and yeah, it, even uh, like going into a, a horror fantasy kind of thing with Troll Hunter, which oh, I know you're a big fan of, dude. I love that movie. Yeah. That is a great <laughs> film. You know, yeah, it's like the fantasy type sci-fi. Right, right. With and, a little bit of dark humor added into it. Oh, of course. Of or course. a lot of dark humor, however, you know, you take it. And, you know, you even have your zombie films. Like, you know, one of the ones that you enjoyed a lot was the Zombie Diaries. Oh, yeah. And even Romero has dabbled in found footage with uh, Diary of the Dead. And I got to tell you, I I like Diary for all I intents and purposes. I mean, there it had its its flaws, but it was fun. I mean, I'll be honest. Had it not been a found footage film, I may not have enjoyed it as much. But yeah. the way Romero put it together, I I just thought it worked. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, so we see it throughout all kinds of genres. It, although it's funny, I mean, it wouldn't work. For a comedy, I mean, have we seen like anything outside of like horror, sci-fi, fantasy kind of things outside of that whole group of genres of film where found footage has really been utilized? I mean, you can't see a, a comedy or a romance or a, a, a straight drama, anything like that. I mean, has that has that really worked anywhere else? I don't know. I guess if they had a romance found footage film, they'd call it porn. Yeah. <laughs> good call good call (laughs) but no you're right though i mean i've never seen a found footage comedy or anything like that i i don't i never saw the film but there was some movie about some big raging party or something i don't know if that was found footage or not Uh, it kind of looked like it at some points from the trailers and that but i for the most part i don't think it was so yeah you're right horror has just it's grasped on to found footage and you know, I know a lot of people have a problem with the shaky cam and all that, and I can understand that, but you know what? To me, it's just, I just think of it like a roller coaster ride. Yeah, yeah. It's it's realism for me. And yeah, it's tough to watch at times. And the movie we're going to talk about, I mean, it has some of that too. And and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily prefer to watch a lot of going back and forth and shaky and, and what's going on, but... It's got to be there to add to the realism and to really Absolutely. sell it. You know, the the point that this guy is running with a camera right now, you got to have some of that. Absolutely. I mean, now, if there wasn't shaky cam, okay, let's say they just never did that, would the end of Blair Witch been as scary? I would say no. No way. No way. No. And again, it's, it's, it's just an effect. It's one of those things you got to have in there to, to sell it. And, right. Uh, yeah. So... It's a like a necessary evil, and a lot of people are turned off just by that. And it kind of, yeah. you know, that that, that kind of bugs me. It's like look at the look at the big picture, kind of what what they're making here overall, uh, because it's it's usually it's a beautiful thing. And uh, so, uh, dude, dude, what are we talking about tonight? And actually, you asked me about if I had seen this movie. I think we were talking on Facebook the one day, and you're like, dude, you ever see this movie before? I'm like, yeah, I just watched this uh, on Netflix the other day. So uh, tell us what we're talking about here tonight. Well, the film that we're going to be talking about, and uh, I, look, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to tons. I mean, I probably, I don't even know how much I have on my hard drive on my laptop, but <laughs> the one movie that I was hearing such a big buzz about, and it really was piquing my curiosity, especially with the fact that it was found footage, was a film called Atrocious. And... And that's why I asked. I was like, man, I wonder if Corey ever saw this. Because I'm dying to know if this is any good. So I sat down and 
I checked it out, not once, not twice, but three times. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, three times. I got to give you props for that, man. Uh, this is one that I had had on my Netflix queue for a long time because, again, uh, I, it just kind of came up in my recommendations. And uh, I had, I, you know, the, the reviews on it, of course, if it comes up in Netflix, you know, you get reviews popping up and, and star ratings and everything right right away. And, you know, it seemed pretty decent. You know, people were, people were uh, having some good things to say about it, so I was going to give it a shot. And uh, most people were saying if you like paranormal activity... Uh, you're you're gonna like this, and uh, so uh, what we have here again, it's found footage, but it is uh, it's a Spanish film. So you know I'm, I'm having flashbacks to Wreck, of course, um, <laughs> because it's subtitled. So um, do you have a problem? And a lot of people have have this problem. But do you have a problem whenever you're trying to watch a found footage film that banks on the visuals so much and little flashes of what you see? Um, and that competing with the subtitles, is that bothersome to you? Is, is that a drawback? Every now and then it can be, depending on where they're going with the plot. I mean, if there's like any type of intense scene going on, well, obviously I'm going to watch the intense scene and just forget about what's going on at the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. So I tend to have to like rewind a little bit, but for the most part, I don't care. I was fortunate enough to find an English dub version of this. Oh, nice. So I didn't have to worry about the subtitles because, you know, for a movie like this, there was so much buzz. I wanted to make sure that I caught, like, every little thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, this is a short film. I think it clocks in at, what, like 77 minutes or something, 73 minutes or whatever. Yeah, Um, and but literally, I think when I watched it, and I've watched it twice myself, um, when I watched it, that 77 minutes kind of expanded into like maybe two hours or more because it was the same thing. I had to keep rewinding it. I'm like, right. oh, damn, I just read that thing, but I think something really cool just happened. So I have to <laughs> rewind it, you know, and go back. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind, of, kind of funny like that, and I think it's more annoying if you have a DVD or a, something like that. You know, if you're on Netflix or, or whatever, you, you can just go back pretty easily. Right. But, uh, you know, it's a, a little more annoying to do, so I can see where that that might get on some people's nerves a little bit, but um, I like the quote. You notice they open with this this crazy quote, and I think we can maybe kind of expand on this and, and talk about how this applies to the overall movie. But the very beginning, there's a quote on the screen, and it says, the mind is like a labyrinth in which anyone can get lost. Hmm. That was very interesting and it, it makes perfect sense for this film also yeah yeah it does yeah especially when you get to the ending i mean we'll, we'll oh, talk about this and uh man. wow but uh you know i saw this film i started watching it um and and uh i'll give a a, a quick synopsis here of there you what go. we see um we have a family of course this is spanish so we're set i i assume in spain somewhere although i'm, I'm not uh, sure it's just outside of uh, Barcelona, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, cool, cool. And we have this family, mother, father, three kids. And uh, they're going on a vacation for, I, I assume it's several weeks, um, to some uh, house that they have that's more towards the sea. And um, the, it's a house that they used to live in whenever the kids were much younger, but it's been not in use 
for, I think they say 10 years, it's been abandoned. And uh, so they're going back there on vacation just to spend some time as a family on Easter vacation. Um, right. They have a, a friend of the family, Carlos, that's been keeping up the place and making sure that everything's still still working, still clean, still in order at the place. Um, but uh, they all go out there. And now the kids, uh, we have Christian, Julie, and Jose. And Jose is young. I mean, he's under 10 years. He's probably he's what, eight, eight years old. Eight. Okay. But uh, Christian and Julie, I mean, Christian is probably what? He's probably... Christian's 18. 18. And I think Julie is uh, either 16 or 17. That makes sense. Yeah. They have this show online where they investigate urban legends. And being that they're kind of drug out to this this vacation house with their family, they're like, well, there is kind of this legend going around this area where if you happen to get lost in the woods around here... Some people say that a girl in a red dress or a red cloak or a red something, red riding hood will show up, you know, and uh, <laughs> she will show you the way home. And so we're going to talk about this, investigate this, whatever. Yeah, because uh, she was lost back in 1940. Yes. And, and for those of you who have not seen the film, the, it's like a forest maze kind of, kind of like The Shining, but not mm. as well kept up with. Yeah, th- th- that's funny you brought up The Shining because I'm like, oh, there's a hedge maze. And, of course, you're in a horror movie and you're in a hedge maze. So what's the first right. movie? You know, you're going to think of The Shining. But this thing is very old, very overgrown, not kept up. They call it a labyrinth, which actually I kind of like. They, you know, they translate that. And I don't know if that's a that translation from the Spanish, but a labyrinth, yeah. which, uh, you know, is is far more, I think, constricting and claustrophobic than, you know, your, your, a hedge maze or something. And it, it is claustrophobic because yes. the, the passages, like, through the whole maze, I mean, there is no way that you could walk side by side with someone through it. It always has to be, like, single file through. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, their parents tell them to keep out of this place. It's actually gated off, and it's chained, but it's an old, spooky, rusty gate that's keeping them from this, and... Their curiosity just cannot be constrained. And, of course, they go into the hedge maze with their cameras. And they start exploring, and they kind of make little uh, marks on the on the little pillars that they, they come up with to help guide them along their way. Because it's really easy to get lost. This is a big maze. And uh, so they're like, oh, yeah, maybe this is where the, the girl in red, Melinda, is her name. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, we might run into Melinda if we get lost. She might show us our way back. And so they're really curious. Um, but there are a lot of variations of this tale. They talk to uh, some different people. Carlos shows up, the man that uh, is taking care of the estate. Right. And uh, they say, hey, have you ever heard this legend of Melinda, the girl in red? And he's like, oh, yeah, but there are so many interpretations. So many people, you know, have their own stories and you, know, you don't know. And they're like, well, tell us yours. And so they sit him down, of course, to do like an interview-style thing with him. He said, well, you know, back in 1940, of course, this girl Melinda got lost in the woods, and her body was never recovered. And so now they say, if you get lost in the woods, you, you might hear her voice. You're going to start hearing a sound, you know, behind you. And uh, when you hear that sound, that means that Melinda is right behind you. And he yeah. kind of gives it this whole spooky 
like supernatural yeah. kind of he element. Says it's like it's like one of the eeriest sounds you will ever hear. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so as we're going through this movie, uh, some weird things start to happen. Uh, we see the dog come up missing, and then eventually we see Jose come up missing. You know, the the little little brother who's kind of a bother to the older kids that are just trying to trying to make their little web thing and the, yeah he's he's just kind of like the dra- okay we got to drag him along with us you know yeah yeah and he's kind of he's a weird figure in this movie and I, yeah he is yeah but uh and and some weird things start to happen so i i it's hard to go a lot further into the strangeness and to the different things that happen because i've seen the end of the movie and i know what happens and it's hard for me to talk about these things without spoiling them. So there are a few things that I'd like to do just right off the bat, Misfit Boy, if you don't mind, without really going much further and spoiling things. And then maybe we'll kind of go into spoiler territory a little right. bit later on. And uh, we'll, of course, warn everybody, if you haven't seen this, that we're going to be talking about spoilers, giving the ending away. But it's things i I got to talk to you about and that questions I have to ask. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I think what we're going to do, if that's cool with you. so No problem. All right. So I'm just going to say right now, um, this film, I wasn't very impressed at first. Um, probably the first two-thirds of this film, I was thinking, yeah, okay, we got some creepy things, uh, some weird things going on, but I didn't find it very original, and I was convinced that I knew exactly how it was going to play out. Uh, did you feel the same way? Um. <clears throat> You know what? I would compare this to season two of The Walking Dead because huh. it is a slow build. There, you know, I know a lot of people complain about season two of The Walking Dead. It was such a slow buildup to the finale of the show. But you know what? That payoff was so well worth the wait. Yes, yes, I'll agree. Um, but did you? Were you? Um taken in a different direction than where the movie actually ended up? Did you, well, did you have it in your head? You're like, well, I know where this is going. It, um, I was thinking paranormal activity all yeah, the way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's so hard. It's, I think found footage, especially in paranormal found footage films, you kind of expect things like, uh, for instance, I, I expected to see maybe some doors closing on their own. Right. You know, and some maybe some ghostly faces, you know, some really scary kind of things. But we didn't see any of that. No. Uh, you know, all of the big scares were just really a lot of strange things like the dog. All right. The dog in the well. Now, see that right there. You know, that's when I started thinking, OK, this there's this is definitely a ghost film that yeah. I'm watching because uh, Christian, you know, sticks his head down the well and. You know, he's calling out to the girl, and Julie's like, you know, don't do that, don't do that. And it was right then, I'm like, okay, this is definitely going to be a ghost story. Yeah, yeah, the trail of blood going through the, you know, through this maze, and then, yeah. you know, up the the side of the well, clear down in, that's, that's messed up. Especially with a dog, you know, I mean, what is it about killing animals and seeing a dead animal and of course this was a prop this was you know not not a right. dead dog but uh, seeing that portrayed on film that strikes you and you know in a different way than if you would see like a dead you know a dead body a dead person there 
And, well, yeah, uh, immediately you start thinking, you know, what if that was my dog, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have such a infatuation with animals, right. especially nowadays. Yeah. Animals are so innocent. Right. You know? I think that's it's, it's a lot like, of it. It's like seeing a child being killed on screen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not as harsh, but, you know. It's the same, yeah. It's it's a family member still. Right, right. Same kind of innocence. And right. uh, why, why, you know, they didn't deserve to come to this end. And uh, so that was that was a very shocking thing. And uh, I think before we see the dog in the well, even there's a there's a creepy point where uh, they're filming. They they're going through this this hedge maze, and uh, they kind of think that they saw a person, like a yeah, shape, somebody. They they take it back to the house, and they're looking, and they're like, "You see, there's it's somebody that's like standing with their back to us." Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all hunched down. Is that a person? And yeah, and, and Julie is like, "No, that was nothing." And Christian is like, "No, that's that's a shape. That's somebody. That's somebody there in the woods. Who was that?" And uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of creepy. And so it leads them to hook up a camera to their laptop to kind of continuously record um, a camera that's, uh, I think, positioned outside of their window, aimed at the gate. Right uh, to this uh, to this hedge maze, um, and uh, for some reason, of course, right before the the dog dies, um, the camera was unplugged from the laptop, and we see this whole back and forth between Christian and Julie because Christian set this up. The dog is dead, and he's like, "Well, wow, I, I have this camera, you know, set up here so I can go back through the footage on the laptop," and he goes to look at it, and. It's not there. It's missing. Somebody had actually come in and unplugged the camera from the laptop, like sabotage that footage. Right. And so he's really upset. He confronts Julie about it, and he's like, did you do this? And she denies it at first, but then she admits that, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I unplugged the camera. Um, and that was kind of a, a weird place for me in the film. Because I was asking why, actually several times during this movie, but this was, this was one of the first times I'm like, why? Why do you think Julie unplugged this? Because she just kind of admits it. She feels bad about it. But then we just kind of go on. So do you have a theory or did, did I miss something here? Why did she do that? Honestly, I think she was just starting to get sick and tired of being in the house because she did not want to go there for Easter vacation to begin with. And I don't, I don't know if maybe she was just, you know, tired of hearing Christian go on and on about, you know, what's out there? What's out there? Is that really a person? Either that or she got so creeped out by what she may have saw that maybe she just didn't want to see anymore. Ah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just one of those things where they didn't explain it. Maybe that that's probably a thing of beauty in this film. Exactly. You that's, know, the, that's the way I took it because yeah. it was like what you said, you know, like right at that point, Julie seems to, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say start to like break down, but there's like a change in her demeanor for sure. You know, she's not like, right. oh, this is really fun. You know, I'm kind of digging doing this, you know, and it, it's almost like she's like, okay, I'm to the, almost to the point where I've had enough of this. Yeah, yeah, because at the beginning, she's kind of having fun with it. She's like, I'm on vacation, but I'm still going to carry around this camera. It's kind of cool. You know, she's not totally into it like Christian is, but, 
you know, there's kind of the novelty thing. I'm doing a web show. Yeah, it's kind of it's like me and you doing a podcast. Yeah, it's right. all fun and games, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, then, you know, things kind of take a turn where, yeah, this is this is maybe a little more than than I want to get into. So I, I could totally see that um, where she's maybe not into it. And we see that. I mean, she goes back into the hedge maze and she's just she doesn't really care about whether she's using her camera or not and recording anymore and christian's like oh what are you doing haven't you been recording or whatever and she's like no no i haven't been i'm just sitting here i'm just you know so we see that and that makes a lot of sense and she does doesn't she say um my battery's dead or something like that yeah yeah christian's like you know what i have tons of batteries right so it's almost like he's like almost trying to force this upon her and i i think that she's just getting to the point where she's tired of it yeah and she misses her boyfriend. I mean, that's a whole little yeah. kind of element in there where, you know, she has this boyfriend that we never see, I don't think, for the whole film. That uh, And so, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. And they, they of, of course, go out looking for the dog. They find the dog in the well, and it's, it's dead. And they don't tell um, Jose because, of course, Jose is, is the closest with this dog in the family. Right. It's like his, his closest friend. And they don't tell their mother. Now, at this point, the father had to leave. He got a phone call, and he is MIA for the rest of the film. Um, so, uh, was there anything more to that? That's another thing I wanted to ask. He, you know, he got a phone call. That apparently, this had something to do with work, even though he was on vacation. And yeah, he left. You know what? I- I couldn't figure that out either. I'm like, well, wait, that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, if they're on vacation, why are you leaving? Yeah. That was the first thing I thought. And you're right. He's like gone the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, given the ending, which, which again, will spoil here in a little bit, but given the ending, I mean, does that, does that lead you to anything else? Like, I'm still on board uh, with it being a ghost movie. Yeah. 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 That's... I, I'm, I'm going to just say this right now. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to say the end was a just a what? What what just happened? Mm-hmm. So you know, I like I you know trying to say I'm all on board. Ghost movie, hundred and ten percent. I would have said. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we get to a point where things go out of control. In uh, that's uh, when it gets good. Yeah, because uh, all of a sudden. Uh, mother bursts into the room late at night with, uh, of course, Julie and Christian. And she's like, Jose is missing. You have to come help me find him. Help me find him. And she runs out of the room. And she is hysterical. She is. And leads them into this hedge maze. And this is where the movie gets intense. And this is where my rating for this movie just jumps up at many, many points. Because it went from a ho-hum, kind of found footage, you know, kind of creepy, spooky, I don't know, kind of film, to, oh my god, what is going on? And I, am, I, I'm, um, I cannot rip myself from the screen at this point, clear until the end of the film. So they go into the hedge maze, a lot of shaky footage here, but it works. It's great. Jose, or uh, uh, Christian and Julie get separated, don't know what's going on. Of course, mother is screaming. You, you don't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, Christian finds this gazebo. Of course, they, you know, there's that weird gazebo altar, whatever it is. 
um, that we've seen uh, elsewhere in the film that they've uh, happened on before. Yeah. But uh, it's a little more disturbing this time because Christian <laughs> finds Julie literally tied to this to the pillars of this gazebo and bloody, hysterical, just all out of sorts. What did you think when you were seeing this? Um, let's put it this way. Had I known what was going to be happening and I had turned the movie off before, I would have considered myself to be the biggest idiot of the week for doing so. <laughs> because I was so sucked into the film at that point when, you know, when Christian just shines that camera up and at first you don't really see it very well, but you can tell you're like, oh my, oh no, that's Julie just hanging there. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like she is on, it's like the gazebo was turned into almost like an altar of sacrifice of some sort. Yes. And you know, she's, she's got blood dripping down from her and she is so in shock. She can't even speak. I mean, all she can do is like murmur. I think I heard her murmur, help me like maybe once or twice, but she could not get anything else out. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh man, now I'm sold. I am a hundred percent sold on this. And I didn't even care where it was going to go because I was, Hook, line, and sinker, I was all in. Yeah, and you hear very little, like, coherent dialogue from this point on. I mean, it's now, a lot of, like, oh, my God, oh, the, oh the, that kind of thing. You know that these characters have seen something, especially Julie. Julie has seen something, probably knows how she has gotten there. And uh, Christian has actually, he, he's had this kind of weird experience at that point. Uh, where he was kind of drug along. It, it, it's really weird. Something comes up, I think, from behind and yeah. kind of drags him. Yeah, I it mean, gets a hold of him somehow, like around the throat, and it's like dragging yeah. him backwards. And he's like struggling and fighting, and he does manage to get himself free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's. After uh, being. He was drugged like, what, 20, 25 feet or so? It's a long time. And I think. Uh, some people might be turned off. There are, there are long periods of just like they're kind of wondering through this this hedge maze and they're just kind of making twists and turns and and kind of gasping for breath and that makes up a lot of this suspense but uh, i didn't take it for downtime or you know any kind of boredom i was just like they're building suspense because something is going to happen and but you know what? every what moment was, was expecting something what was really smart from the director's standpoint is when he had christian put all the markings on every stone that he saw, yes. every tree, every pillar, no matter what. Because for, like I said, you know, he was drug a good 20, 25 feet. And I, I seriously think that the director was probably thinking, you know what, I've got to make this so that, well, I don't want this to go on to linger and go on forever. You know, and when he does get back to the house, I don't want anyone coming to me and saying, you know, how did he manage to get back to the house on his own? Right. So, you know, it made perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, I think, a lot of smart decisions in a, a, a movie that had a lot of a lot of kind of, oh, well, that was awful convenient. Oh, why did that happen? Right. You know, the, there were a lot of things that, you know, kind of built up like that that uh, I think could be explained away in a sense. And uh, that was one of the things that helped that. Um, but... Uh, 
you know, we get back to the house. Eventually, Christian and Julie somehow make their way back, of course, uh, you know, by way of these markings. And uh, things just keep escalating. Just the intensity keeps building and building and building. Um, we get to that fireplace, you know, where the dead, that corpse of a child or something falls out of the fireplace. And, yeah, I and think that was uh, Jose. That's what I was thinking, too. And that's, uh, that's another place, though, it's like, well, you kind of have to figure it out. And that's what I love about this, that you, you really have to think about this and figure out a lot of it on your own. Okay, spoiler alert right now. We're just going to get into it right now because it's inevitable. You cannot talk about this movie with, you know, with any kind of deep discussion without spoiling it. So let's just do it right now. Misfit Boy, I know you're, you're totally with me on this. We've we got to spoil it, so let's do it, man. Absolutely. I'm ready. Oh, my God. You know, I was, I was going <laughs> into this, and it was um, an okay movie, you know, like I said, about two-thirds of the way through it. Uh, you know, the last third of it got really, really intense. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then the ending Oh my God! And it jumps the rate of the movie up by at least two points. Yes, 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 exactly. Because you know, is this a supernatural thing going on, or is this just a schizophrenic thing on the mom? You know, is this? I mean, because we find out that the mother that you have no inkling throughout the whole rest of the movie, and I've watched it twice. You've watched it three times. I mean. The mother, I'm not suspect of her in any regard throughout this whole film. Well, in the third time I watched it, I was as thorough as I could possibly be because you know me, I love to find my facts and that about a film. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, I'm going to go back and watch and find every little thing I can about it. Now, earlier in the film, they find that VCR, it's all dusty, and they hook it up to the TV, and they find a bunch of videotapes, and they start playing them. Now, right before they go outside, okay, to go do their little investigation, they find a videotape and pop it in, and it's a movie, okay? Hmm. And it's, it's a horror film, obviously, and then it cuts out, and you hear Julie say, what was that? And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Let's just go out and look around. So... Hmm. That is like a big part of what we're about to talk about. That Weird. played an important role. And there's no way, no matter how many times you watch it, you're going to be able to catch what is actually said on this videotape until like your second or third time. And you have to turn the volume on your TV or your surround sound all the way up to be able to get a crystal clear idea of what's going on. Because I tried the first time. I tried the second time, and finally, when I turned my surround sound up all the way, and because it's very staticky on this videotape, mm. and it's still hard to hear, but I finally caught it. Yeah, and I, I missed it still both times. I'm like, this, the, you know, I've, I've, I can't, I can't figure out what's going on until they kind of replay everything. You get to the end of the movie. You know, as far as the found footage, you know, the Christian goes down into the basement. He finds this this tape playing on the TV, and it's very, 
very fragmented. You're very confused as to what's going on. And then the footage is kind of rewound. And then you see a whole lot of like police footage and news kind of things going on alongside of that final footage in its entirety. Right. And then things are kind of explained. And it's, it's, it's really, really out there. I mean, it, I never saw it coming. I thought it was ingenious. I yeah. really did. I was just like, you know what? To have me hook, line, and sinker. And I, I actually kind of felt embarrassed at myself. <laughs> because I'm like, okay, Mr. Yeah. Big, I'm 43 years old, and I know a lot about horror films. But I did not see this coming from a mile away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never caught anything either. And it, even the second time through, I'm looking. I'm like... All right, where did they reveal this? Where did they hint that something like this was going to come up? And, and it, it never did. I mean, no. I, I never saw it. No, because when they first popped that, like I just said, when they popped that tape in the first time, I turned my surround sound up to see if I could hear any inclination, and there's nothing. It's almost all static. You hear screams, and that's it. Wow. Wow. So... So what happens? It's 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 the mother, and she is schizophrenic. Basically, she has she has suffered what post postpartum she had, depression. She had postpartum depression when she had Christian as an infant, and she tried to murder him, and they institutionalized him or her, and then when she had Julia, she was institutionalized again, and then she had Jose, and she did okay. She didn't try harming him in any way, so they thought all was well. You know, she's cured. But then, apparently, she had a little girl that she murdered. Yeah. And they never even talk about the little girl because she was killed as a newborn. The mother killed her. And it turns out it's not supernatural. Nothing. It's the mother. Well, is it? I mean, that, that's the question that I ask myself. I'm like, okay, you, you have this mother that has raised three you know, relatively healthy kids. Okay, she killed one of them. So why does she come back to this place and just lose it all of a sudden again and start well, killing? She kills the dog. She kills her entire family. Yep. Why? Is it something about this place? Is it a, like a supernatural thing about this place? I mean, what was it? Well, at the very end of the film, you know, after they do the, this is added footage, because we do get some added footage a little bit here and there, and we see Christian's mother coming up behind him with the axe raised, and oh he God. turns around and looks and just screams. And as soon as that axe comes down, flash forward to the mother in an insane asylum. And this is where you really have to listen closely because the tape starts playing and it starts explaining everything. Little by little, everything is wrapped up perfectly because apparently the mother thinks she's possessed by someone named Elvira. Because you hear a psychiatrist asking her, well, who is Elvira and what has she done? And the only thing that I did not really care for, I'll be honest, is that last scene of the mother's face in the camera. Mm. Tell me that was not a ripoff of paranormal activity. Oh, exactly. 
But it worked. I mean, for me, but that it worked. Did. It, it did. You know? But you know what? I will say this, though. Man, I, I cringed. I, I will admit, I cringed when... And you don't even see her, like, sneak up behind him. She's just, like, there. And yes. she's got that axe held high. And, man, I was just like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and all you hear is him scream. And, man, you, yeah. you could just imagine. I mean, you know, leave it to your imagination, but she must have slaughtered him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's they did it really well because, there, like I said, there wasn't a lot of violence, not a lot of gore in this film, but they implied a lot of it by using you know scenes what? just like that and screams and it almost happens and then they cut and you just imagine what happens. It it kind of reminded me of, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. There's no violence in that film. Right. Barely at all. I mean, there's a little here and there, you know, just, just bits and pieces, but it's all left to your imagination. Right, right. And, and they, uh, I think that was a lot of the magic to this film because this is, it's it's a really great movie. I, I think they did a lot of things right. A lot, you know, some things wrong has its flaws, like we said. Um, but man, this was a all, I, I think a great effort. All I can say is I am so glad I did not hit the stop button because I'll, I'll admit I was really tempted the first time I watched this. And for those of you out there who plan on watching this movie. You know, don't give up on it. Whatever right. you do, don't. Even though we may have just spoiled it for you, but still, watch it through all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And y you'll watch it again. Because, I mean, both of us, we've watched it multiple times. Yeah. Because you see the ending and you're like, oh, God, I have to go back and, and figure this out now. I mean, where did they drop clues and hints and everything that this ending was going to happen? And uh, so it has that rewatchability factor that a lot of movies with twists at the end don't have. I mean, I, I saw this movie, and I'm like, I'm a dumbass. Like, I didn't see this coming. Right. And it's exactly no. like you said. You're like, you were, you were embarrassed to say, you know, you didn't see this coming. And so I'm like, dude, I, you know, there's got to be something I missed. There has to be something obvious there that they, they dropped on me that I was just, you know, daydreaming at this point or whatever and right. you know so that's got something to say for it yeah it's definitely not like uh i don't know like we'll say memento or something where you watch it once and there's no point of ever watching it again yeah this movie you can watch over and over again right and you know what it, it'd make a great halloween film yes yes yeah i mean for those of you who like to just sit around all day on halloween and just watch movies all day this is one that you could easily add to your lineup. It's so creepy the it whole is. way through. And I'm I'm dying to know where that place is. I mean, I would love to visit that place. Yes, because it, me and you both tried to like look up kind of the background on the filming yeah. of this and production, and it's like there's nothing out there. Nothing at all. This is nothing. in Spain. It's outside of Barcelona, I think you said. Yeah. Like somewhere. Yep. But That's that's the most I found out about it. It's like is you know, I, I kind of want to, like, talk to this director and say, uh, what's going on here? I mean, how did this film come about? Why did you pick? I mean, I'm I'm tempted to say, and we've talked about this a lot privately, you know, on Facebook and whatever. But I'm like, I'm thinking they probably found this really, really spooky, cool location. You know, this this crazy house and the hedge maze. 
and they were like, we got to make a movie here. You know, it's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, but, uh, that's where I'm coming from. And, uh, so man, as far as found footage films, dude, this is a great, great find, uh, especially on Netflix where they're a dime a dozen and, you know, found footage, you, you never know, but wow. Wow. I, I recommend this to, to anybody out there. How would you rate this man on a, on a scale to one to 10? Well, um, like I said before, you know, I wanted to turn it off the first half hour or so. I would have given it about maybe a four, mm-hmm. but towards, I don't know, maybe the last, what, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. I'm going to go about a seven and a half borderline eight. I was so shocked and I was so captured by the ending and especially like we said the last like 20 minutes of this movie was so intense it drew you in so much and i never saw the ending coming dude i it's got an eight from me just because of that i mean i wouldn't even say you know don't red box this don't netflix it just buy it i mean if you see it at a store buy it yeah i mean you've seen uh, paranormal activity. Have you seen any of the like two or three? I saw as... two. I have not seen three, and I keep hearing that three is supposed to be like one of the better ones. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, to me, that's the best of the series so far. Do you know what sucks for me is the version that I saw was of paranormal activity. The first one, <laughs> it's where the cops bust in. I wish I would have seen that. Oh. I never saw any of the other endings. I don't know what version I picked up or how this was the luck of the draw for me, but I saw the version where the very last scene at the end was uh, it was in the bedroom and the, the demon thing kind of crawls in and then lunges at the camera with like this cheesy CG kind of demon face and oh, then actually, it cuts to black. It shows the demon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like wow. a demon face. But it's CG. It's terrible CG, obviously. And then roll credits, cuts to black. So it's like like, Frankenfish from Sci-Fi Channel. You have ruined the whole damn movie for me at this point. It was so (laughs) good up until the last, like, five frames, and then you bastards. Now, I don't even know what the original ending is that they were showing in theaters, because I did not get to see it in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. But the one that I saw was, um, what was it? The guy goes flying, like, through the door. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you hear police downstairs, and they come up, and I think they shoot her, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, hell, the police never showed up here. I mean, it was just kind of... Okay. Yeah. Because I know that... I do know that there's, like, three different uh, versions of that. Yeah. But, I mean, eight... That, you know what? I'm not going to even argue that. I, I would say seven and a half because it is such a slow burn. Yeah. To get to those points, and I would hate to see anybody just give up on this movie. Well, yeah, I was just about to ask you that. You know, how would you rate this? You know, in light of Paranormal Activity, if you like those films and and stuff, but uh, that is kind of unfair, I think, because. Again, paranormal. There's there's a lot of different endings and the sequels. You know, it's it's 
up in the air. It's it's a lot of different things. So that's where I was kind of going with that. But uh, I guess as far as like a found footage kind of thing, I mean, you're you're the found footage guy. I love found footage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. Is this one of the better ones? Do you think? You know what? Actually, for a low budget independent film, absolutely. From the ones that I've seen, uh, what's the one with the uh, fake uh, exorcist guy? Oh, um, it's a big is, buzz about that. Um, oh, the uh, the last exorcism. Yes, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I I wasn't a big fan of that one. That kind of sucked. Yeah, I saw I, that too. I just I I had such a hard time getting into uh, the lead character, the so called preacher or whatever. I just didn't buy into it. But you well, know, you you I, look at that film. You can't help but look at it in in light of the exorcist. You know, and you're comparing right. it. I mean, whether you consciously do or not, you, you kind of do. You know, and it's 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 hard. But I will say, I love Paranormal Activity. Yeah. Paranormal Activity is a easy eight for me. Nice, nice. I wish it I could mean, be for me too, but it was that damn ending that I saw, and it was. See, you know, I, now I wish you would have seen like one of the other ones. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. I don't know why they would have put the CG. I mean, especially found footage films. I think it's better when you don't see anything. Because yeah. isn't that the whole point? That is the point. You know, I think a lot of theater-going, like, mainstream audiences don't get that. And so maybe they they felt they had to put that in to kind of please a certain segment of people. Right. Which I'm pissed about. I, I just... <laughs> Again, that's the first one I saw. And so me, as a hardcore horror fan myself, I'm like, you bastards. You just almost ruined the whole rest of the movie, which was great up until that. You know, it's, I don't know. It's a fine line you have to walk. I mean, you have to decide, I guess, which audience you're going to try to please. Right. I mean, atrocious. Like, if I had, like, a top ten found footage film, yeah, I would probably put this in that. Nice. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I, I think oh, I'm again, a found footage sucker, but, uh, I, I love it. It's it. They did it right. Uh, the ending t- totally took me off guard. You know, I, again, I, I just suspect certain kinds of endings, even if they are twist endings, I can kind of predict those kind of things anymore. Um, but, uh, this one took me way off guard. I had no idea. I'll, I'll be honest. When I first went to the theater and I saw the sixth sense, I knew that Bruce Willis was already dead Yeah. within like 15, 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. But this movie just threw me for such a loop that I almost wanted to punch myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, really? 43 years old. You've been watching movies for how long? And you didn't even see that coming? So, hey, kudos to the director, man. Great oh, yeah. job. Yeah. And this was, uh, I, I can't think of the guy's name, um, Fernando Barreda uh, Luna. Um, Nona, I think it was. This was his first feature film. Um, and I thought he did a great job with it. Now, my question to you is, uh, do you predict, you know, either a, like a prequel or a sequel to this? Because certainly it is wide open to either. Um. Some movies should have a sequel. I mean, we had Rec 2, which 
was probably even better than the first one. Arguably, this, yeah. Yeah, arguably, you know, depending what your taste is. But mm-hmm. this is a film that I would hate to see a sequel to. You know, if they want to do a prequel about, like, maybe give some background on a little girl or something like that, I'd be down with that. I'd watch it. But as for a sequel, like with another family coming in and, you know, the same principle or whatever, no, I, I don't think that would be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, they could even do a prequel on the, the same family. I mean, even, right. you know, on the uh, everything that happened up until then, because it's kind of interesting to me to, you know, again, see the ending and they hint. But again, I mean, like you said, should they just leave it as it is? And just leave it to my imagination. I'm, I'm kind of forming in my mind what happened up until now. Do you really need to show me that? And yeah, I don't know. But it, it's certainly there. I mean, that, that possibility right. is there. Because I can, I can almost foresee them doing, like, I don't know, maybe um, like in a prequel. And they would try getting to show their mother on camera and yeah. the mother wants nothing to do with like being on camera or anything like that. Yeah. I'd, I'd be sold on that. I would definitely check it out. Yeah. That'd be hard to do. I mean, I was, again, if they do a prequel or a sequel, it's almost like they have to stick with the found footage kind of thing. Of definitely. course. Most and definitely. how are they going to justify that? You know, in this movie, the kids were into this whole web series and doing their doing their whole little show here about urban legends. But would you be able to sell that again somehow for a prequel, which would be really difficult, or for a sequel, which might not be as difficult, but still a little far-fetched? Well, like in, a, in the prequel, I think it would be possible because, you know, you could show, like, the mother making dinner or something and you know they're like okay mom we're going out to find another urban legend okay and the camera's on her and she has like a knife and she's making dinner and she just slams it down or something Mm -hmm. like that you know and she's like get that out of my face you know just something along the lines of that where much more like psychological right but the only problem with that would be is that it would just probably give too much away yeah so you know, who knows if that could even be done. But I love it just by itself, man. I mean, this was such a great movie. I'm with you. Just leave it alone. Just right. leave it for what it is. Um, maybe um, get, like, the Americanized DVD of it and get some more added footage, maybe. Hmm. Like in the uh, mental institution or whatever. Yeah. I'd be down with that. I would definitely be down with that because I right. I love seeing stuff like that. Right, right. Like explain a little more. Yeah, yeah, a little more. Yeah, I want to see some of that like that <laughs> weird stuff because that that was the weirdest part for me. You know, I'm telling you, go back again and just put up when they when he goes down in the basement and he turns on the and the videotapes on. Just uh, get a set of headphones, put it in your uh, stereo, turn your surround sound up. And you'll hear so much of what you missed. Dude, I'm, I'm going to watch this like a third time now. It's, <laughs> it's, and that, again, I've said it many times now, but it's like this film has a lot of rewatchability because there's yeah. so much they put into it that 
you want to go back and just see, oh, did I, did I miss this or should I catch that? And uh, so I think this was a, a, a great film overall. So do I. So, yeah. And you know what it was for me? It was a breath of fresh air and um, almost stagnant, you know, in the horror genre right now because there really hasn't been a whole lot coming out lately. Right. Right. I mean, we talked about, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know this like came out. What was it? uh, Was it 2010 or was it 2011? Uh, This was 2010. I think. Was it 2010? Yeah. I mean, for a film like this to like grip me Hmm. nowadays, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very calloused. You know, it's, it's, it's really got to do something special and unpredictable. And uh, I don't know if you saw the movie uh, Grave Encounters. Have you seen that yet? Um, no, not yet. But I've heard a lot of good things about it, though. Yeah, I, I recommend it. It's another one of those that you go into it and you're just like, oh, here we go. Another found footage movie, the blah, blah, blah. They're going to do the same thing. And then it completely throws you. I mean, it, it, it goes places that you don't expect. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great thing. So they are out there and, uh, people are utilizing this genre, sub, sub genre, whatever it is, the found footage thing. And I think they're doing some great things with it. And, there are people out there that are just like found footage, man. It's horrible. It's terrible. You know, it's so shaky, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe it. I just want, you know, I want Friday the 13th again, or I want, you know, Halloween or something, you know, something that's traditionally filmed and they don't understand the, the appeal of found yes. footage. But, but that, again, would... <laughs> we've talked about it a lot and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think something that is open to so much, so much it's opened a lot of doors see to that i would you know not to be sarcastic but i would just say well then you know what if you like those kind of movies so much go ask wes craven to make another scream and shell out your money for the same gags and the same kills (laughs) and everything else because that's all it is now and uh, you know on that note wes craven does not have the balls to make a found footage film you know, really? Do you think? I mean, do I think? Um, would Wes Craven lower himself? Hey, man, you know what? Money you know. talks, bullshit walks. Yeah. Hey, I bet if somebody handed him a truckload of cash, he would remake a Walt Disney film. <laughs> oh, dude, would he remake I mean, I, like Snow White? You know, found footage style. You know, just, for a for a nice cash in. I tend to wonder how much money they offered him when he did another scream. Oh, dude. I'm sorry, dude, but I, I hate that movie. I really do. The first one or like just the... All of them. Last... Every, oh, every, oh. every one of them. <laughs> Can't stand them. I don't care what... You know what? Write me on Facebook. Tell me I'm an idiot. I don't care. It, it, scream is just dumb. Just plain, simple dumb. Well, I mean... You have to look at it. It is a, it's kind of a, a, a sarcastic commentary right. on the horror genre, the slasher genre, and it has something to say about conventions in the slasher genre. So you have to get it, you know, give it a little bit of credit for at least being able to bring those kind of conventions 
into the to, to the mainstream and to kind of make fun of them a little bit. I mean, you at least get that, right? What was that skit in Saturday Night Live? Uh, Nat, not gun, dude. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, you know, yeah. don't get me wrong, man. I love Jason. You know, I love Freddy. Yes. I love those. But when it comes to, like, slasher films for me, I'm going to gravitate more to, like, Maniac and Pieces Maniac. and, you know, yes. more of the the indie, more underground kind of films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speak, you know, found footage... Do you have any idea what the very first found footage horror film was? Oh, wow. Wasn't there a movie called Man... Was it Man Bites Dog or something like that? Wow. I've, I've, you know, I'd, I've never heard of that. I just I, I just go back to, like, Blair Witch whenever I think I'm trying, of it. Because I'm trying so hard to think because I know there was an older movie that was kind of found footage... And it was, a, you know, a guy and his cameraman were following around a serial killer. Well, this, a, this whole thing, you know, stems from the documentary, you know, like a straight documentary uh, right. genre, you know. And, you know, I think back, you know, in films like uh, Spinal Tap, you know, oh. even though, you know, Spinal <laughs> Tap, that was a mockumentary, completely, you know, a comedy kind of thing. But... Do you think like Spinal Tap even has like an influence on this whole genre where it has yeah. the mockumentary kind of thing? Yeah, I would say it could. Well, there's your comedy then for your, yeah. uh, you know, you found one. Congratulations, man. It's believable, though. I mean, people people actually thought that Spinal Tap was a real band and that this was actually going. I mean, seriously, when this came out, I mean, Rob Reiner, you know, yeah. Rob Reiner, legit, totally legit. Making a documentary about this metal band, this this crazy British metal band, yeah, I mean, they thought it was real. They, they were, people there, thought it was real. There are two parts that I will still laugh hysterically to to this day on that film, and not to get off topic, but no, when they're trying to get to the stage and they keep getting lost. Yes, and uh, <laughs> when they have the. Uh, Autograph signing and nobody shows up. That's <laughs> great, man. I guarantee you, every like indie band out there listening right now can totally identify with yeah. at least one of those situations. With, you know where? <laughs> oh, that was so great! Oh my god! I, I'll never forget back in my my early like late teen years, and a buddy of mine is like, "Have you ever seen Spinal Tap?" I'm like, "No." Oh man, we got to go to the video store right now and rent this. And I, I think I must have watched that like four times in a row. I love that movie so much. Yeah, but I mean that influences what we're talking about because people again believed it. People thought right. this was an actual band. It was an actual tour. This was what they were doing, and it was a lot of hype, a lot of how the studios promoted it. And again, it was it was parodying the documentary uh, genre of film right. that was really prevalent at that point in time. And this does the same thing. So people, again, we're crossing genres here, but it's kind of feeding off of the same kind of thing where it was a lot of hype, a lot of, wow, this is, this is real. This was, you know, this is what was actually happening. And uh, it's creating something that uh is not real and it's it's brilliant you know dude i'm not even gonna try to lie to you man when 
after the first time I watched that with my buddy, I was like, dude, if these guys ever come to Cleveland, we're getting front row seats. Yes. And my buddy looked at me. He's like, what? I'm like, you heard me. I was like, dude, if you don't want to go, I'll buy your ticket. It's like, <laughs> dude, this is just a movie. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, um, hand me another beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. But dude, oh, man, I kind of don't want to, you know, break off what we're talking about tonight. This is such right. a, a great thing that we had. But man atrocious again i'm I'm so glad that i saw it and thank you again for like uh you know suggesting that uh we watch it and and then uh, i was like dude we've got to review this on the show and uh i i'm really happy that you could take a a a night on your weekend here of all things oh please man it's my pleasure dude being strapped down into the electric chair i just hope my wife doesn't have a big mess to clean up afterwards oh well i i hope Again, that, uh, you know, I'll be able to make that up to her, you know, when we meet up, you know, here in, you know, about a month or so. Absolutely. Um, Michael Graves. If Michael Graves. In Cleveland, anyway, if you're in the Cleveland area, Peabody's, July 7th, Michael Graves, come on up. Corey and I are going to be there. I'll be happy to buy you a beer. How's yes. That? Yes. And I, I will buy you your second beer, actually. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be more than happy to do that because uh, we saw Graves... The first time at uh, Cleveland at, uh, what was it? It, it was above Peabody's. Yeah, actually. it was at a, a small little bar above Peabody's that they put up there called the Rockstar. Yeah. And, and we saw, man, oh, dude, that was amazing. Especially hearing him doing Dig Up Her Bones and uh, Saturday Night from the Misfits oh, era. He did Scream and, uh, you know, like Blackbird. I mean, just oh, so many things that just I will never forget. And butcher shop, butcher shop. Oh, dude! And uh, he was just brilliant. Uh, anything he did, but this time in July, he's got a full band. He's now. gonna be plugged in. Yeah, yeah, he will. He's got a new album that he's gonna promote. The uh, the um the work. Oh shit! I did it. I don't even remember what it's called, but it, it, it's great. I'm going to have links to it up on the show notes and shit. Michael Graves. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait either. And uh, like I said, though, I hope, uh, you know, I'll be able to, uh, you know, talk to your wife and, you know, we'll be, uh, be able to uh, explain things, why we why we think the way we do. And, you know, we, you know, we <laughs> watch things. Oh, no worries things. there, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you my, guys. My wife, my wife just adores you. Oh, dude. Dude, not as much as she adores if, you. You know what? If no. it wasn't for you, seriously, you know, coming up to Cinema Wasteland and that, as much as you have, she probably wouldn't even want to go. Because between you and Root Rot, you two together, and then you throw me into the mix, she says she has a blast. When the wow. three of us are around together, forget it. Dude. She's in stitches half the, half the night. We get together so often at uh, things like Michael Graves and uh, Cinema Wasteland. You know, we don't just talk over the internet and that's it. But, uh, no. you know, we hang out a lot, dude. And Cinema Wasteland, I've had so much fun with you. Um, I just put up, uh, you know, that that uh, cover of uh, The Toxic Avenger that uh, Lloyd Kaufman signed. Did you happen to see that? Where, yes, I uh, did. <laughs> I love what he drew on yours because on mine... I uh, just had him sign it, you know. Oh, well, you Not didn't have the special little embellishment. No, you got like the uh, 
the extra special sauce edition. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. And I feel, I feel very special because I see Toxie in a whole new way. And I, I felt have... bad for you the one year, though, I got to say. When you purposely came there, you're just like, dude, I can't wait to meet Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman will not be here due to an illness. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> wasn't that the same year, though, that we had the Zombie 2 reunion? Yes. And yes. so I still got to meet, like, all the Zombie 2 guys yep. and, and stuff. So that was, that was cool. And, uh, you know, it was disappointing. I didn't meet to get Lloyd. Or didn't get to meet Lloyd. I drank too much. I'm, my words are like way weird right now. I'm sorry. But I didn't get to meet Lloyd that year. But I got to meet him, at, you know, the next next Cinema Wasteland. And yeah. uh, that was great. I mean, he literally, I mean, Lloyd, to me, he is such a, like, a big, big name. I mean, he's oh, one man. of these guys who should be acting like Tom Savini. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he does not. He acts like he's totally one of us. He's just like, he'll talk to you as long as you want to talk to him. He will sign whatever you want him to sign. He's I not going to ask you for any extra cash. I mean, he's he's really good. I can guarantee that because it, it was kind of awkward, but it was kind of cool in a way because one of the, I forget what year it was. I think it was the Dawn of the Dead and Devil's Rejects reunion they had there. Um, Lloyd Kaufman happened to be there and I'm looking all around for him and I guess he was doing, you know, a talk up on one of his films in the projection room. So I, I'm, you know, I tell Tara, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. So I'm in there, I'm washing my hands, you know, and this, this older guy comes up, you know, to the sink next to me, he's washing his hands and he's like, so having a good time. And I'm sitting here and I'm just like, Okay, this is awkward. I'm at a horror convention, <laughs> and I got this old man asking me if I'm having a good time. And he looks over. He's like, he's like, you don't know me, do you? I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> and he's like, how you doing? And, you know, he dries his hands. He's like, I'm Lloyd Kaufman. I'm like, I didn't know what else to say. It just kind of came out. I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he just starts laughing hysterically. And we literally stood in the bathroom just talking for like 15 minutes. I'm like, um, Mr. Kaufman, uh, don't you have like guests and that to go back to? I don't think they're gonna go anywhere. <laughs> oh man. And so I just started telling him, I'm like, man, I'm like, I grew up on so many of your movies, you know that? I was like, is one of the early gore fests I saw was Toxic Avenger, you know? Mm. And he's just like, Oh, that's great, you know, and I just start naming off all these different movies of his and I'm like, I was even a sucker, I have to admit, that I kinda liked Redneck Zombies a little bit because yes. I love the beginning song. It's <laughs> so bad zombies. it's good. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And he heard that and he's like, you even remember the song? I'm like, do you want me to sing <laughs> it to you? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? You come over to my table later. He's like, because I want to talk to you some more. So I did. I went back over there later wow. on. You know, he just, he's a really cool guy. Never even know that he's Lloyd Kaufman. Right, right. And he is huge. And he's he's a regular at Cinema Wasteland. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. him uh, him and uh, I think I think he is like neck and neck with uh, Kyra Schoen from Night really? of the Living Dead. She's oh, there a yeah, lot too, but I didn't know they were there. close. Huh. No, I'm just saying, like who's been there the most? I oh. think they're like maybe. Well, and Tom Sullivan too. I mean, Tom lives there. I yeah, think he yeah. lives there. 
because I don't think there's been a year that he's not been there. Hmm. He's actually really cool too because uh, yeah. when we lost our house to a fire, Tara bought a bunch of his like artwork and had it oh, framed wow. and put it on the walls. And we went back there after the fire, and you know, he he just remembered us. He's like, I remember you guys from last time. Like, no yeah. way. He had a little bit of a problem. We had a house fire and we lost everything. You know, he went, took Tara and said, you point out everyone that you bought from me and I will replace them. I was like, wow. You're kidding. He did that. So, yeah. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, it, it just goes to show, man. That's, that's why another reason wow. why I love her so much. People that are involved, whether it be like the listeners on podcasts or you know, the podcasters themselves, I give them a lot of credit, man. I mean, I give all you guys credit. You go out of your way just to entertain people and give an hour or two of your time just to, you know, tell people what's going on in the world of horror. Because when you have kids, man, especially like mine, you know, you kind of need that. <laughs> well, I love hearing about things like that, like about Lloyd and uh, Tom, where there are people who are so influential in what we watch. You know, nowadays, especially, you know, Lloyd with trauma and say what you will about trauma, but I think it's brilliant. Still you know? love trauma. Yeah. And Still. Tom Sullivan with the evil dead. I mean, I mean, wow. And to have him just come up to some random fans like you guys. I mean, you guys could have been anybody. You could have come up to him, said anything. I mean, whatever. And he was just that cool. To you and, and your wife. I mean, that says a lot for who they are as people and to how we should view them as horror fans and support them in, right. in what they're doing. And to see something like, especially, I mean, I can't talk enough about Cinema Wasteland. Of course, I'm there a lot. Uh, not every time, but I'm there a lot. And uh, to how good a show that is and to the people running it and to the people that keep returning to it, um, as Lloyd and Tom Sullivan and everybody. I mean, it's uh, it, it's fantastic. And uh, that is what horror is all about. That's what this community is all about. It's people just uh, being cool and appreciating uh, what you do for horror and for the genre. And uh, what you're still doing. And, and you still care about people that support that. I mean, I love it, man. That's that's so awesome. Absolutely. I agree 110%. I mean, my, my all-time favorite incident for Cinema Wasteland, because I've been going there literally since like 2000. So I've been there like, I think I missed it once when I came down with pneumonia. But uh, it was the Dawn of the Dead reunion. And oh, wow. Tara comes up to me and she's like, um, honey, there's this really, really tall black guy that's trying to get me to go up to his apartment. Oh, man, I love this story. And I'm like, uh. what? And you know me, I'm like 6'2", I'm 225, I can hold my own, and I'm like, I'm just where? happy I'm on your good side. You know, I'm, I'm just like, yeah. where? Where is this person? Just show me who it is. <laughs> you know, because she's like nervous. So she points out to the person, and I look over, I'm like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, just follow my lead, all right? I'm like, you get ahead of me, and you just walk. And she's like, I don't, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, just 
I'm, I'm right here. It's cool. So we get over there and this guy looks over and he's like, oh, there she is. And, he's, and she goes, this is my husband. And the guy looks over at me and he's like, sir, I am so sorry. I apologize. He's like, I meant no harm by it. He's like, I apologize to your wife. It just so happened to be Ken Foray from Dawn of the Dead. And I'm like, so uh, you try to get my wife upstairs? And he's like, sir, I am so sorry. And I just couldn't hold my, my shit-eating grin in anymore. And I'm just like, dude, that is so awesome. Let me shake your hand. My wife was never so mad at me in her entire life. <laughs> I love that. You have told that to me so many times. I love it, and, man. And Tara has told that to me as well. And, and for you to come out with this on a, on a, on a podcast and uh, to just kind of revel in how cool that is, dude, I love it. I love it. amazing, man. That's why I said, man, I love horror so much. Well, I, I've told you my foray dude, story, haven't you? You need to tell the electric chair listeners that one, man, because that one really blew me away. Oh. Well, shit, this goes clear back to the Midnight Podcast days, and I've told this to so many other podcasters and people just kind of, you know, after hours, you know, podcasting stuff that's not yeah. on the record. But, uh, you, I don't know, I was saving this for, you know, sometime when I should really bring out the big guns. And you know, so, we should have done that on the zombie mob when we did the Dawn of the Dead episode. Oh, yeah, but that was, that was the longest damn synopsis i've ever given in my life the record man i I had nothing left after that yeah yeah (laughs) so well all right here we go here's me and ken foray right so uh picture this horror realm which is a it's a horror convention in pittsburgh that uh was the a a zombie exclusive convention up until i think 2009 and they they made it into horror realm which was uh, held outside of the Monroeville Mall, not not literally outside of it, but at a hotel on the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Uh, so it a lot of great stars, Bill Mosley, a lot of big names at this convention. And so, of course, Ken Foray was one of the big names there. And I love Ken Foray. Seen him a lot of times at a lot of conventions. And so I was doing the Midnight Podcast at the time. I go down to Horror Realm with my little audio recorder, and I'm like, I'm going to get a lot of cool interviews at this. So I interviewed like Bill Mosley. And um, he was very intelligent, by the way. I love, I love that guy. Yeah. That man, that man has a brain in his skull, that's for sure. He does. And a lot like Rob Best was down there. And uh, uh, I've always wanted to see him and Laura. Oh, dude, they are two of the coolest, coolest people that you were ever talked to. I'm still life. trying to get them to come to Wasteland. I almost did the one year. Well, they they were slated to go there, but their car broke down. That's I know. Yeah, and so I I cried like a schoolgirl, dude. I I was just, I was in tears that I didn't get to see Rob again at Cinema Wasteland, but uh, I understood. I understood. But uh, this was a great show, and uh, a lot of really great people there. So Ken Foray was there, and he was on the docket for this convention to do a panel solo. It was like Ken Foray for like an hour, just him going off. So, of course, I'm going to go to this one. So I had my audio recorder, and I knew he was going to be there. So I went up to his table beforehand, and I'm like, hey, I'm 
Corey from the Midnight Podcast, and I introduced myself, and I gave him my little business card, which was all, like, really official-looking and really cool. And um, I said, hey, you know, I, I really love everything that you've done. I, I'm a big fan of Dawn of the Dead and, and of course, Devil's Rejects. Every, everything you've done, like, Ken, you're like a god to me. So uh, two things. Like, first of all, could you do a little, uh, you know, segment, a little, like, Hi, I'm Ken Foray, and this is the Midnight Podcast, you know, kind of thing into my recorder. And second of all, I would love if I could, uh, you know, record your uh, your panel discussion and put it up on my podcast. And he's like, yeah, man, yeah, I'll do that. That's cool. And so I recorded, you know, Ken Foray right there at his table doing the little intro into, you know, the Midnight Podcast. And then later on, I go to his panel discussion and I record this and I release it as you know a special edition of the midnight podcast you know ken foray his panel at horror realm midnight podcast so it was great people really enjoyed it so two weeks literally two weeks later ken foray is making an appearance at uh uh the eerie horror film festival which is right in my hometown i love well not my hometown but where i live right now in eerie uh, every year, they have the Erie Horror Film Festival. A lot of really cool guests. Ken Foray was right up here again. And uh, I looked on the schedule of things going on, and Ken Foray did not have his own little panel discussion. So I know the, the guys that run the show, you know, Greg Ropp and, and all of those guys. And so I went up to Greg, and I'm like, dude. And I was kind of joking, you know, I'm like, you didn't give Ken Foray his own discussion panel. What's up with that? You know, what kind of show you're running here? And we kind of had, you know, we laughed about it. And he kind of, he's like, all right, you know, you know, I got an open spot here sometime this afternoon. So, you know, Ken, go ahead and take the stage and, you know, whatever you want to do. So I am more than ecstatic that I was kind of like instrumental in getting Ken Foray his own, you know, panel discussion you know, at this convention that originally he was not supposed to have. So, of course, I sit in on this, and I, can't, I, I cannot wait, so I'm, I'm there listening. So he gets up there, and he's like, yeah, he's like, all right, well, first of all, I was just down at this uh, this horror convention down in Pittsburgh called the Horror Realm, and it was a good time, and, you know, met a lot of great people, but, uh, you know, I did my own uh, little private, you know, panel discussion, and somebody, somebody recorded it and they put it on a podcast a podcast i can't believe they did that and so i'm sitting here listening to ken foray and i'm like i am that bastard i am that guy that recorded this but i thought i was cool i thought ken foray approved this before i i mean i literally i i asked him if i could do this and i, I thought he said it was cool so he went through his whole thing up here in erie and he was great as usual. And he's like, thank you. Good night. You know, I'll be at my table, you know, come, come look at what I got. And he goes walking out of the, the auditorium where he was. And I'm like, I got to catch up with him <laughs> and I, I got to make things right. I don't know what has went wrong here between me and Ken Foray. So I go up and literally, as soon as he exits the auditorium, I catch him and I'm like, Ken, Hey, I, uh, I'm that guy that did the podcast. I am that guy. Like, what was going on? I thought we were cool. 
And Ken Foray looks at me and he's like, you did that podcast? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> when you have Ken Foray looking into your eyes and saying that he's going to kill you, it strikes fear into your soul. Well, that's like, that's just like what my wife though, man, she's like, what would you have done if he would have went outside with you? I was like, I would have been bragging like a son of a bitch saying, I just got my ass handed to me by Ken Foray. Dude, this is like, I'm literally in Dawn of the Dead and Ken Foray is in total like SWAT team gear pointing an assault rifle at my face. And you're Flyboy. And I am Flyboy. <laughs> this is the situation I'm in. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm like, I'm sorry. I think we had a misunderstanding here. And he looks at me and it's literally like, I could have sworn it was like hours, hours went by, (laughs) you know, but he's like, man, we got to talk about this. He's like, why don't you come up to my table? He's like, sit with me at my table. We'll talk about this. (laughs) I'm like, well, I'll be damned if I'm going to turn that down. So I go up to his table I sit there with Ken Foray. He is there signing 8x10s to fans that are coming by, taking pictures. And I'm kind of there. I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm Ken Foray's guy here behind the table. You know, I'm, you know, all right. He gets to the end of the night, and he's like, hey, man, if you, uh, you help me box up all my pictures, you know, you help me clean up my table here, uh, I'll get you into the VIP party that's going on after hours. And I'm like, damn, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get into the VIP party with Ken Foray. <laughs> so, of course, I help him box up his 8x10s. I'm, I'm cleaning up with you know, whatever whatever you say, boss. You know, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm doing. And uh, so we get everything, and we're carrying these boxes out. Ken Foray has an armload of boxes. I got an armload of boxes. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, the hotel is right over here. So he was staying in the Avalon Hotel in Erie. He had a room there. And, of course, in the in the, the bar area, in the social area of the Avalon was where the after party was happening. So he's like, all right, I just got to take these boxes up to my room. And then we'll, uh, you know, go out and uh, we'll, we'll party. So we take the elevator up to Ken Foray's room. He's like, yeah, come on, come on in, man. He's like, put the boxes down on my bed. He unlocks the door. I go, like, I'm in Ken Foray's hotel room. Like, literally, like, I see his suitcases, like, you know, scattered across the place. He's like, yeah, just throw those anywhere, man. He's like, you know, I got to catch this flight, man. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I mean, check out my laptop. Can you help me figure out what flight I got to be on when I got to be at the airport in the morning? So I had to sit there on Ken Foray's laptop and help him, you know, figure out when his flight was going to depart in the morning to Indianapolis, which is where his family is. And this was like very surreal to me, of course, at the time. I'm like, holy shit. This is the guy that I've seen like gun down zombies for like decades in my beloved Monroeville Mall. And all of a sudden I'm like hanging out with you and helping you catch your flight you know, in your hotel room. And, uh, so yeah, I helped him figure out, you know, what his flight was going to be. And, uh, as soon as everything was cool, he changed into his, you know, kind of, you know, evening wear. And then we, uh, went down to the VIP party. He got me in and 
It was like an open bar kind of thing, and a lot of cool people. Bill Mosley was down there. I, I, I mean, I'd just hang out and just whatever. I drank for a while with Ken Foray and and everyone that was cool at that that whole convention. So that's all, my story. All <sighs> the more reasons why everybody needs to start getting out to conventions, man. Yes, yes. You that never is- know when that could happen. Now, see, I'm not that cool, but you know what? Oh, dude. Happy to say that from the little reviews and that that I did on the Midnight Podcast, I became like amazing friends with the director that you had on your show, Tom Berdinsky. Yes. And you know what? He always saves a seat for me at Cinema Wasteland to come and sit by his table and hang out, and I make sure I do that. I think I spend more time with Tom and the guys from the Italian zombie movie and that than anybody else. Yes. Love that guy. I just love him to death. Yeah. And Tom, if you're listening, when in the hell are you going to put out House for the Morgue already? Yes. Oh, dude, he has been teasing that on Facebook. I know. That bastard. He's like that kid that sits on top of the slide with, with the best toy in the world going, <laughs> drives puts, me nuts. He puts up pictures and he's like, oh, yeah, soon, soon you're going to be able to see this. Yeah. Oh, but when? When? Right now, this is all you get. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I got. But again, I mean, you're right. I mean, Tom. I love hanging out with him and everybody that uh, he has in his whole like entourage that uh, worked with the Italian zombie movie and and all these other things he has going on. I mean, he had the the giant uh, rubber suit. Uh, uh, giant rubber monster. Yeah, movie. The giant I love that movie. Yeah. Dude, it was awesome. I and, love that. Dude, Tom is a guy to watch kid, for. The little kid that was in that movie was an awesome actor. Yes. <laughs> he's sitting yeah. there and he's like, yeah, we all have our demons. And he takes a shot. <laughs> it was great. Oh, dude. I'll tell you what. Tom is one of the, the brilliant minds in indie filmmaking right now. And uh, he is what makes this so worthwhile. And, and, and again, it's not that he's making really great, fun, entertaining films. But you go to a convention... And Tom's going to talk to you, like, however long. I mean, he's not going to blow you off. No. You know, he's going to hang out. And, hell, you're probably going to see him at the bar, you know, after the show has closed. And uh, have a good time. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing. So you're exactly right. You have to get out to conventions, you know, especially, like like we said, we we talk a lot about uh, Cinema Wasteland. But uh, there are a lot going on across the country. And uh, it just so happens that I, I think we live in a really, really uh, awesome area where uh, especially, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you live in Ohio. You know, that's, know, that's yeah. unfortunate. But, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm in PA. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I honestly wish I yeah. lived in PA. I love PA. And I'm, I'm very tongue in cheek about that, you know, of <laughs> course. But, uh, but, you know, growing up around Pittsburgh and all the conventions and the, the fans – that we have around here is is astounding, and uh, I'm truly blessed to be able to hook up with a lot of people that uh, truly love horror and especially zombies. I mean, you know, zombie capital of the world, whatever. Absolutely. But uh, you know, there there are a lot. So if if you know of horror conventions going on in your area, I encourage you to support them. Go out and see them. Go and talk with the people that uh, they have there because uh, you know if 
even if you are supporting movies that uh, aren't necessarily great, but are at least trying to be great and trying to do something for the horror genre, I mean, you're doing something good right there in my eyes. I mean, you know, we talk about the Italian zombie movie, and of course it wasn't a great, great zombie film or a great horror film, you know, that's going to go down in history as, as one of the best, but... It certainly had that attitude and that heart that uh, I will certainly support. You For know? that kind of movie, it takes a certain type of sense of humor to actually get it. Yeah. And you have to be a little dark and twisted. Damn, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Dude, I got like two versions of it like on my shelf. Yes. Yes, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh, oh man, thank you again for for talking with me tonight. I mean, this is uh, something that's uh, gone beyond way just a, a review of uh, atrocious to a lot of talk about some great things. And, uh, dude, I can't wait for you to have your own podcast, and uh, I will be looking out for that. But uh, I hope that you will find time in your busy schedule to uh, to come on here again to. I- you know. Corey, I would be happy to come on here anytime, man. Just to be able to sit here and talk horror with you, it's it's always a good day. I appreciate it. And again, I have trouble ending our discussion, but uh, <laughs> I think it has to. And uh, yeah. again, again, uh, you know, a Little Dead podcast, awesome as always. I, I've talked about it before, but uh, dude, you're a, a big part of that, and uh, soon to be your own podcast, and I can't wait. So. Misfit boy, man, let's do this again. But thank you again for taking a, a night on your weekend to uh, talk some crazy talk with me. And uh, let's uh, let's hook up again, man. Anytime, man. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. All right. I really appreciate you letting me be on here. And hey, everybody, make sure you go to the Electric Chair Facebook page. A lot of cool stuff on there now. Thank you, sir. All right, man. All right. You take Good care, night. buddy. I you will too. talk to you. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? This is just a bad movie. This is not at all good in any any way, shape, or form. Because there's one word I have to describe this movie, and it is derivative. Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I was in search of the stop button. I know. <laughs> in search of a plot. That's what this movie should be called. You're right. Uh. So, zero out of five. Fuck this movie. Don't watch it. Then you should spend time with David and me as we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. The Dunwich Horror. Maniac. To new favorites. Event Horizon. House of the Devil. Slaughter Night. Come listen to Devour the Podcast. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Every once in a while, I, I, I'm on Twitter, and I just, I get the I get the fever. You know, I get the podcasting thing. Like, I, I just kind of want to do a segment right now, something very impromptu, something off the cuff, something fun. And I threw it out on Twitter tonight, and none other than Cenobite Dave, David from, uh, you know, Devour the Podcast, responded. And he's like, oh, let's, let's do this. Let's get on right now and, and do a segment. So, Dave, man, thank you for talking with me again tonight. Um, This is really fun. 
Yeah, I had a blast uh, the other night when we did the reviews of uh, Bleeding House and Resurrection County. So yes, I yes. jumped at a chance to work with you again. I appreciate that, and that that means a lot. And uh, as far as when we are uh, talking about this, I'm not quite sure that we're going to be hearing our review of those movies quite yet because I'm I might put this one up a little quicker because again I have a oh, very special interview to put up alongside this that we are talking about. Uh, with the with the director actually of uh, uh, the Bleeding House, so uh, you know people might be hearing this before that. So um, I'm going to pretend like I've never talked to you before, and uh, <laughs> so thank you for joining me tonight. And uh, again, this is something completely random, completely off the cuff, and I just put it out there. I'm like, let's do a segment, somebody totally impromptu, horror wise. And uh, you responded. So is there something you have in mind right now uh, that you'd like to, I don't know, discuss, debate, talk about as far as the horror thing goes? Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I The last maybe week or so, I've been catching up on a lot of different movies, uh, both for the show and just in general. Yeah. And I've, hit, I've seen some hits and misses. Um, I watched, uh, like I said, I watched... Um, Bleeding House and Resurrection County for for Electric Chair. I did uh, Return to Sleepaway Camp and Hell Night for my own show. That's uh, episode eighteen Ooh. is coming up pretty soon. Nice. And I finally got around to watching um, checking out Dead Snow and Cronenberg's The Fly. Ooh. And what else did I watch recently? Um, a couple of documentaries that I really liked. Uh, Midnight movie, or uh, I watched Midnight movie, which was okay, uh, but American Grindhouse and Machete Maidens um, Gone Wild were both really fantastic nice. uh, documentaries I checked out. Nice. Now, did you watch Dead Snow for your podcast? Is that one you're going to uh, be no, talking about, or just was, for fun? It was just for fun. It was um, a couple, uh, sometime last week, I was just bored, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll watch Dead Snow. I haven't seen this yet. Everyone's raving about it. And it was one of those movies where within the first, it opens up, they're playing Hall of the Mountain King, and you've got this girl running through the snow from (laughs) zombies. I'm just like, this is going to be awesome. What did you think? All of a sudden, I think we found the subject of what I'd kind of like to talk with you about tonight, (laughs) because uh, Dead Snow is actually near and dear to my heart. Uh, It's something that it kind of like came out of nowhere. And it's Nazis and zombies, and you put the two together, and it's hard to go wrong. Um, so tell me, what was your experience with this film? What were your impressions watching this? I had an absolute blast with it. It was the probably, I'd say this is maybe the second film I've or maybe the first film I've seen from Norway, um, from the Norwegian, um, film, whatever it is. Um, so it's, and it's not that I'm unfamiliar with the, the, the sound of the language because I've listen to various musicians from Norway and have seen interviews with them speaking in their native language. So it was sort of, it's an interesting language to listen to when you're not, you don't hear it very often. It's like the, the, the languages of uh, Scandinavia are very, very interesting to listen to. But I was, I was impressed by the, the general references to other horror movies were kind of fun. Exactly. And, the the sense of humor that the movie had was just fantastic and i absolutely loved that because it was just off the wall with some of the stuff they did and the the effects were just brilliant 
Just fantastic special effects. Oh, yeah, extremely violent, especially toward the oh, end. Oh yeah. I mean. Oh, that was. Oh, I, I, I would, I would say it was as gory, if not more gory than, or at, at least on the level of gore that we saw in Dead Lives ending, which is the dis- dismemberment and blood everywhere and. I loved the scene where the where they were the Nazis were running down the hill and they're just tearing him apart with the chainsaw and then or the guy had the snowmobile with the gun which I couldn't figure out where he got the gun from but I was like oh, fuck it who it's cares at awesome. that point yeah yeah at that point I was just like okay he's got a gun mounted to his snowmobile okay fine fuck it whatever oh, yeah I love it I mean that that film from beginning to end it's just it's a lot of fun it doesn't take itself too seriously. And, no, uh, not at all. you know, it, it it tries to weave in a little bit of history and a little bit of stuff with the Nazis. And they raided this village and there are all these atrocities that happened and and they hid their treasure and they're coming back for the treasure. And, and they, you know, we have at least a little bit of background, a little bit of history to chew on here. But mm-hmm. for the most part, dude, once things get started, it's it's insane. It's insane. Oh, yeah. And there was never any real explanation of how they became zombies or anything like that. It was just there they were. And you're like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> and yes. I liked that the their, more or less their driving force wasn't the typical zombie, you know, we're coming to eat you. It was, we're going to eat you, but we're actually going after something specific. And yes. I liked that that played into the ending. And I was just like, it was so nice to see an ending that wasn't not your typical horror movie and that it's just like he kind of ended on a funny kind of on a downer but it was a funny downer yeah yeah and the zombies they just wanted to kill you they you know they didn't want to eat you they wanted to kill you they wanted to hurt you you know it was they wanted to cause pain and again working in the whole nazi thing where the nazis very evil very sadistic you know, they they just wanted to do all these terrible things. And I think that's something that uh, kind of played into the whole violent aspect of this movie and as far as how the zombies acted. And, uh, Definitely. Uh, but do you have a hard time? I mean, you, you know me. I'm a, a hardcore zombie movie fan, and uh, mm-hmm. it, I have very strict rules as to how zombies should behave. But for some reason, I bend the rules for this movie um you know it's it's a lot of fun i i still consider this a zombie movie even though you know they obviously they can think there's a whole kind of group mentality going on there they're under the the leadership of the the head zombie what's his name um uh the the colonel or whatever he was yeah yeah and so i mean it's not your romero style zombies here um but no not at all but uh, you can see the influence from those films and it's one of those things where it's like there's so many and Jamie and I Jamie and I have touched on this briefly on on the show about how zombie movies are frankly a dime a dozen these days everybody tries yeah. to make them and not everyone makes them successfully because either people go in the direction of oh well we just need zombies and lots of chaos and there we go or they go with the oh let's do a message movie and it ends up being heavy handed and terrible. Mm. Um, and I felt like this one was just fun. 
Like it was just a fun splatter movie. And that was, you know, that was evident from beginning to end. And it's like Nazis in movies, especially horror films, is kind of a weird area to go with anyway, (laughs) because it's like, yeah, they're an easy villain. And, you know, throwing them into video games is fine because like, you know, you have no, you know, they're almost a shortcut when it comes to fiction, it's like you throw right. a Nazi into something like, okay, well, obviously they're the bad guys because Instant no matter who evil. else is around. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like with you throw them in, you make Nazi zombies. It's like, Oh, well shit. It's that's like, it's like, you can start it's like, what's more evil than a Nazi? Well, uh, how about Nazi werewolves <laughs> or yeah. Nazi zombies or Nazi vampires? It's like, you just add a, a mythological creature to Nazis. And it's like, oh, well, shit. Now we've got this way worse monster to deal with. Right. Um, but I mean, as far as it being its own kind of, I liked that it had its own flow of rules. And it was just sort of like, these weren't, these weren't traditional zombies. These were just sort of, they were, they were obviously living dead, but they weren't out to eat their victims they were like you said just out there to destroy them and kill them and they were after a specific goal mm-hmm. and that was fine you know i don't expect every zombie movie that i sit down to watch to to play by romero's rules and you know i love the return of the living dead movies up to the third one yeah. um, anything after that is terrible <laughs> um and those don't at all play by romero's rules those have their own thing and yeah we had that's that was the introduction of talking zombies so yeah yeah so you have no problem calling this a zombie movie Oh no, not at all. Awesome. I mean, they obviously are zombies. It's not. Yeah. It's not a case of, you know, gray area. Twenty eight days later, where they possibly are zombies, or maybe they're just infected human beings. You know, this is very clear. These are dead things that have come back to life and are killing people. They are zombies. Yeah, and that's a big thing for me because even since the dawn of uh, zombie cinema, which we see back mm-hmm. in like the twenties and thirties. Um, zombies have always been back from the dead. I mean, that's your base uh, criteria for zombies. Exactly. And um, right here, you're exactly right. They fit that description. And, of course, you know, seeing the development of zombies through history, I mean, it's really interesting that um, actually film itself has not defined the zombie throughout history if you really go in and and look at it the movies themselves have not done that it is the press around the films it's how the media has interpreted and reviewed these films and applied these terms to what they see on film because even you go back to uh, night of the living dead and Mm -hmm. and nowhere in that movie is the word they were referred to as ghouls they were ghouls they were back from the dead. Um, they were uh, the living dead. Um, yes. And zombies, before that, zombies were more uh, uh, more exotic. We see a, a yes. lot of them in the Caribbean, of course, in, yes, in the, Haiti. Yes, the voodoo zombies. Yes, they are, are, are uh, bodies that have come back from the dead, and they are under some sort of spell, some sort of direction, some sort of influence from a force be it right. um, some sort of voodoo master or some sort of, uh, uh, you know, anything, uh, some sort of disease, some sort of outside influence that has brought them back and has made them go toward a certain uh, purpose, uh, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And the media around Night of the Living Dead 
applied the term zombies because they saw similarities in things like, you know, white zombie, things like that. And they're like, well, we see zombies in this movie because they act similarly, you know. But all of a sudden, the media applies zombies to George Romero's interpretation of the living dead. And then the zombie mythos has evolved. It's mutated a little bit to include these flesh-eating, back-from-the-dead things. And it's just really interesting to see how they've evolved. And um, even up until now, I mean, you see 28 Days Later, this was hailed as a modern zombie film when it came out. Right. And um, so it, it drives a person like me nuts that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a fan of film history and seeing where things have come from and how you define zombies. And I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to Romero and right. before that. Um, so it's, it's funny that I can include something like Dead Snow in a zombie movie. It, it's actually so far removed from what I saw in like White Zombie, you know, right. and, and things like that. Um, so it, it's very interesting to see how, again, the media influences uh, film and how you interpret film. Um, so going into Dead Snow, I mean, you you had heard a lot about it. You said, you know, a lot of good reviews for this oh, yeah. film. So did that influence maybe how you viewed this? Were you expecting a zombie movie? Were you expecting, uh, I mean, what were you thinking going into this? I had originally, my first uh, knowledge of the movie was from a, a Room Org article about it. And they were, I think that, the title of the the article was about like Nazi zombies or something like that. And so I'd kind of been aware of the movie for a while and had been sitting on my instant queue forever. And I'd heard, you know, everybody raved about it and said, Oh, this is so great. And typically, even if people tell me, you know, a movie is great, I go into it with, you know, an open mind because I, people have told me movies are great and I've sat and watched them and hated them. So with this one, I was like, all right, well, let's see what this is going to be. And it stood on its own, you know, it stood on its own merits. It was a fantastic film. And it, as I said, it, for me at least, it, it took on the general basic conditions of what a zombie should be. They were yeah. the living dead and they were, you know, Hello. evil and bad. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This whole weirdness <laughs> happened here, but I saw Jamie was online. Um, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, Jamie, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. Is this a a good time? I mean, I kind of passed you in. Me and David are talking about uh, Dead Snow, um, right here in the middle of like a, a podcast thing. Is this cool? Is this? Uh... Yeah, it's fine. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I was because um, I'm actually on my phone, but um, if you can hear me, fine, then that's cool. Yeah. But, Have um, you seen Dead Snow? Way. Oh, yeah, I love it. Oh, very nice. Well, oh, thank you for joining us. And David, again, I'm I'm sorry for, uh, you know, kind of having this whole thing come in the middle of your uh, your discussion of, of the film huh. and, and, and zombies and everything. Know. But uh, I know you are comfortable with Jamie, so that's okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, he better be. I guess if he's not, it's too late now. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so we, we we fake it every week, and then we, when we're off the air, we're just swearing at each other. Very nice. True. <laughs> we're mortal enemies, but we play nice. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So you've seen Dead Snow, um, and we are talking about the interpretation of zombies throughout history, and 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 again, seeing Dead Snow as a zombie film. And uh, do you have any reservations toward calling Dead Snow a zombie film? Um, no, I don't. That's I, that's how I would describe it. I mean, they are um, they come right up out of the ground, you know. Um, the animated dead. I don't really know what else I would call them. Mm-hmm. Do you? Well, you know, again, I'm a purist. And uh, I go back and I was talking about White Zombie and, of course, you know, Romero's original vision for zombies, how we see mm-hmm. them anyhow, you know, with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and things like that. And uh, there are a lot of differences there. But for some reason, given the context of this film and the way it was made, I don't even care. You know, there, there's a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I do have when it comes to things like. 28 days later, I have difficulty calling those zombies. Right. And that's, and that's mainly because the director himself said, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't see them as zombies. You know, they're people. They're not dead. Right. So, um, and I know a lot of people put that in the context of a zombie film just because of the whole mass thing and, and I guess the, the fact that it spreads and, you know, basically the behavior, but I I can't do that. But with Dead Snow, that's basically how I see it. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I agree with you as far as Romero goes. As far as I'm concerned, that is the end-all, be-all of the definition of zombie. However, I mean, there's also Return of the Living Dead in that series. Right. And, you know, which in there's, you know, totally different. I mean, they talk, they drive, they run. They, um, which no one seems to talk about when they have, when they get into the whole running zombie argument, which I don't really think running zombies are scary, but, um, you know, but no one really brings up uh, Return of the Living Dead, and they do run in Return of the Living Dead, you know, they also drive cars and have conversations, and, um, (laughs) um, plus, you know, you can't kill them with a headshot, you have to pretty much, um, destroy the entire body, you know, they're crawling around with, um, just torsos and you know you can take their head right off and the head you know the head in the bowling bag still talks <laughs> so but you know but they're so completely opposite from you know the dawn of the dead zombie the night of the living dead zombie but they're still zombies so I guess you kind of have to if you're willing to embrace them all and so I'm mostly willing but like I said, like um, I don't think I mean I like Dawn of the Dead the remake as a movie on its own. I try to I try to not call it Dawn of the Dead. I just I call it you know movie <laughs> with fast zombies who where people are in a mall. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it hurts my feelings as a remake because Dawn of the Dead '78 is my favorite zombie film of all time. Hmm. So. um Anyway, why am I changing about this? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, no, you brought up. I, I love that you brought up Return of the Living Dead um, because that's a movie that I think is a, is a great kind of mediator um, in between, you know, like Night 
and even what we see in like dead snow and um so uh, david have you seen return i i assume you've seen return yes i i've seen i own return i've beautiful seen two and three um i have very very vague memories of two uh three is pretty vivid because it a i saw it at 13 and it kind of scarred me for life i'm sure Um, yeah and it plays on the Sci-Fi Channel on a regular basis. And whenever it pops on, I'm like, "Oh, hey, Return of the Living Dead three! I will sit and watch it, no matter what. I don't. It does not matter what I'm doing. It's like Return of the Living Dead three is on. Fuck it, I'm watching this. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I can totally see that. But the original Return of the Living Dead, it's so weird because John Russo had so much to do with that, and John Russo, of course, was involved tremendously in night of the living dead the original one i mean he was one of the zombies that was killed by ben and uh he was you know even still he he has a passion for night when you talk to him Uh, just an incredible passion for that film so it is so strange oh yeah Hmm? i believe he actually has the oh sorry I was about to say, yeah, you were bringing up that when they split, I believe Russo actually has the rights to the Living Dead title, which is why right. um, and then Romero has the Night of has, the of whatever. Yeah, just of the dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I understand. You know? Yeah, yeah, because there's a ton of uh, that and ran with it in completely opposite direction with totally yeah, different zombies. You know, there's a whole bunch of comic books that are offshoots of that. Yeah. Yeah. The ground zombies, which is another difference from the Romero. You know, I mean, these zombies don't infect the living. They simply eat the living and only brains, not not the not the flesh. You know, whereas Romero, they'll eat the flesh or whatever, and they infect the living. Return, they don't infect the living. They don't. They're not spreading the disease. They just crawl right out of the ground and eat people's brains. I mean, they're almost exact polar opposites of each other, which I always thought was really interesting. I remember when Return came out, and I went to see it with my mom at the drive-in. And the drive-in in Atlanta, where we would go, was adjacent to a cemetery. And the entire wow. time we're watching this movie, I am turning around, staring at the cemetery, and then I'd watch the movie, and I'd turn around and stare at the cemetery, and I'd watch the movie. And I just knew that something was going to be coming out of that cemetery at me. I was terrified. I mean, that movie scared me to death. And there are so many comedic elements to it. That um, you know, it's hard for me to to think. Wow, that really scared me back then. But at the same time, it has a way more serious tone than the rest of them in the series. You know, I think once yeah. they hit two, it you know it went really goofy. Um, whereas the first one was, you know, it was actually scary in some parts. But um, I remember that. Oh, that kept me awake for a long time. Yeah, I, it had a great I'd actually. Oh, I'm I, sorry, sorry, Dave. I was a... Yeah, go ahead, man. I was about to say I actually had a, a different feeling about it. I thought the first one, the first Return of the Living Dead, was actually funnier and had a much more comedic edge to it. Whereas I thought two was really funny, and then three went into completely dark, more serious territory with the love story. Um, yeah, I, this is the first time I saw Return of the Living Dead. I thought it was hysterical. You I know, can just see. The, that. I mean, it definitely has its comedic elements, like I said. But I'm, I'm personally not a fan of the third one. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I know a lot of people really <laughs> love that movie, but... <laughs> We're going to come to blows I, about I, that one at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just so... It, it just kind of... 
it felt like to me after seeing the first one and the second one, which in a lot of ways were really similar, even though the second one was much more goofy. The third one was, um, I mean, because they even had some, you know, they even had some of the same cast members in the first and the second one, even though they weren't playing the same role. Yes. In the third yeah. one, it was completely derailed, and I think that's what threw me off is that it was a, it was completely different. Yeah. And I had already been attached to the first one and the second one, which I love both of them pretty much equally, but for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. The the brilliance of the first one is that it could combine that com uh, like the comedic aspect with the horror aspect, because right. I, I, I saw this when I was I was still very young. And uh, actually, the, it's funny. The first time I saw it, my my mom had rented it for me because she knew I was really scared by Night of Living Dead when it was on TV. And this was, of course, another zombie movie in the VHS rental store. So she rented it, but um, she only let me watch it up until the graveyard scene when uh, Linnea Quigley is dancing. Oh, yeah. And then she shut <laughs> it off. Yeah, so it was. I, I only watched up until that point until years later when I could go and rent it on my own and uh, and watch it. And uh, then I was I was really terrified. I mean, it was it was uh, just the whole the spooky thing of the gas and the the yeah. animals coming alive in this warehouse. And then he's like, "Have you ever seen Night of the Living Dead?" Oh, well, that was right. actually real, right. but they changed things <laughs> up a little bit because here's what really happened. And you go into this whole alternate kind of universe from night. And it, it, I think it's a brilliant splitting from Romero and Definitely. that it takes it a whole different direction. And as a zombie fan, I can appreciate that because I think they made a very deliberate split at that point. They said, here's where we're going with zombies from this point. And Romero obviously continued his thing, of course, Day of the Dead the same year. And then, of course, Land a lot of years later and the whole, you know, whatever after that. Right. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that was... I survival. I didn't like survival Diary, was but good. I loved Survival. I... Yeah, Ooh. Diary was not so great, but I enjoyed Survival. I saw Land of the Dead in the theater because I was, oh God, that was 2005. And I was a huge, huge fan of uh, Romero at the time. I still am, but... Wait, I want to make like sure I heard you guys right. You said you like survival as opposed to diary. Is that... Yes. Yeah. I was crazy <laughs> about <Seriously>. diary. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Sorry. Yeah. I really felt like survival was more, was, was more like going back to the roots of... Of what Romero yeah. had done in the beginning, it felt to me closer to like Dawn than Diary, where I felt like he was bashing us over the head with yeah. this, you know, 72,000 hit points or whatever. And and it was just there were so many things wrong with that movie, and you know, from my, from my point of view. And I just on on subsequent viewings, I like it more. But when I first saw Diary, I just really didn't like it, and I fell in love with Survival. Immediately, and I watched it three times in a row. I just, I, wow. and I know a lot of people don't like that movie, and I, I get that. But to me, it really felt like, those felt like Romero characters. They felt like, I mean, I don't know, I felt like I was going home again. Like, I really felt a connection with that movie. But I mean, I totally get, most people don't like it. I mean, most people just, honestly, I think most people would have been happy if he just stopped at day and said, you know, forget it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, yeah. I, 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 land. I, I, mean, I saw land. I was at the premiere <laughs> in Pittsburgh and no way. I didn't like it. Yeah. I, mean, yeah I, I, I was there and I was so excited because I got to meet Quentin Tarantino and, oh, uh, and I didn't like it. I was really disappointed, but then I bought it when it came out on DVD. I got the director's cut and it was so oof. much better than the theatrical version. Uh, that, that's a stretch. I remember I saw it in the theater with my dad and my best friend at the time, and I was like, you know, I have to see this because it's a Romero movie, and it's probably the last <laughs> Romero zombie movie I'll get to see in the theater. And I remember walking out of it going, it was okay, I think. And then getting the <laughs> getting the director's cut DVD and watching it again and going, yeah, eh, eh, it's okay. You know, it, it was one of those things that, like, after I had read the initial, the, the original shooting script, or not the original shooting script, yeah, the original script for Day, and then watching Land, you're like, oh, I see. So you basically took all the stuff you couldn't do in Day originally, and then dumped it into this with a bunch of bad CGI and a weaker story. Well, awesome. It, as far as bad CGI goes, I mean, Land is not bad CGI compared to Survival. I mean, in Land, it no, was at true. least... Well, because he had a studio behind him with yeah. Land. I mean, they, they dumped true. a lot of money into that. Yeah, and I could polished. at least... That's my point. That's why I didn't like it. It was too pretty. Yeah. Survival yeah. <laughs> was pretty gritty. It was, it was old Romero, like, guerrilla style. Really bad, really bad-looking special effects. And that's what I was like, yes, I feel like this is Romero again. Well, I have this... I have one trump card on you here that I, I just have to bring up. Oh. It's the horse, the zombie riding Everyone the horse. Complains about the horse. <laughs> Zombies cannot ride horses. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, that it, was. You know, honestly, uh, it didn't bother me. I mean, I, everyone complains about that, and it's totally valid. It is valid, but it doesn't bother me. I actually, it makes me upset at the end when the horse gets killed, and like, I, I kind of, I thought it was sweet, you know, how she had this connection to the horse. I know it's retarded, and you know zombies can't ride horses, but I kind of I liked it. It was um, I don't know I don't know why I love that movie so much, but I seriously do. I love it so uh, much. I have no idea. Well, you cannot justify it. You are gonna inspire me to go back and watch it again because I've only seen it once, and I was pissed. I'm like, man, uh-huh. I've seen like I saw the trailers, and every good scene in this film, I already saw in the trailers. And everything else was just a letdown because it was, to me, it was a lot of bad CG and it was the zombie riding horse and a lot of things that I I did not expect Romero to do. I mean, think about it. I mean, Romero with Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, of course, practical effects with Tom Savini and uh, they did so many creative things with that. And here he is relying on CG. He's relying on so much of the violence to happen in post. And it's not that great. Um, I agree. I agree. I can't argue that. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish that he hadn't. I mean, I, yeah. I would I much prefer him using practical effect. I much prefer anyone using practical effect. That's right. always the way I would go if I could help it. But I really like the things he did with the story. I mean, to me, there's some really, like, really thought-provoking elements in there, like... There's a scene where they're having dinner at the guy's house. I can't even remember their names now, but it's been a long time. But the the guy's house, and he's got his wife chained in the kitchen. And, you know, she's a zombie, 
but she still cooks. But you can tell by, you know, when the other person is eating, they're like, Ugh. like they're re- revolted by it because she's a zombie and she's cooking. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. She can't cook. So, I mean, it just, I thought that was really creepy. I was like, wow, there's this zombie just walking around in the kitchen doing kitchen stuff, but it's a zombie. And I don't know. I mean, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just, oh, watch it again. I would, I would love to see what if you could try to see it through my eyes and and I don't know. I will give it a shot. I will because <laughs> I, I know that you totally know what you're talking about and you have an eye for this kind of thing, and so uh, I'm gonna do that and maybe see more of that. But again, it's really, really difficult for me. Um, oh, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what? Why did you not like, uh, or what? Did, what did you like about Diary better than Survival? Is what I'd like to know. That's a good question. Well, first of all, I am a big found footage sucker. Okay. Um, I can fall for that. <laughs> I mean, literally, it doesn't take much for me. Um, you do the whole found footage thing, and uh, I am into it. Um, even though it was. I think really forced for yes. for diary um, because it was a whole what like a like a, a web show or something like that. I mean they were something narrating like that, yeah. a lot of this and they're like, ooh, we added some theme music for the effect and you know that whole kind of thing. So it was a lot more produced than your typical found footage film. But um, I don't know. This was truer i think to romero than land um as far as it was a lot more violent to me it was a lot more real to me i think than what i'm used to seeing with romero with uh with land it was um it was a great movie i i really like land but it was very much more produced a lot of cg like we talked about and um it didn't have that raw kind of feel that I like. I, yeah, Romero. I would agree with you there. I mean, uh, Romero, I like, even even with like non-zombie films like uh, Martin, and even like Bruiser and uh, Creep Show, a lot of things, it has that raw kind of feel to it, you know, where it's it's mm-hmm. not quite perfect, but it's just it's 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 very real. It's very real. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Land had a very plastic kind of feel to it yeah you know it was, was a, it was a really it, good movie i mean i i, I can watch yeah, it over and over terrible and the effect like the i wasn't crazy about the cg i mean it wasn't bad cg it was just it bugs me because i don't really like cg in my horror movies i mean there's a specific time and place for cg in horror movies when it's needed yeah but cg blood splatter drives me up the fucking wall yeah. and to see romero doing it i was just like oh come the fuck on <laughs> You've got Savini on set for this fucking movie. How are you not having him throw blood everywhere? Yeah, yeah. But diary. I did love. I did love the mass attack scene when they finally breach uh, Fiddler's yeah, okay. Green. Okay, that Fiddler's Green. That was pretty awesome. They, you, you get the. You get the true. You know, because all the there's always that big end scene where they breach whatever and they get to the people and then yes. all hell breaks loose. And you did get that with land, which I appreciated. Um, I thought it was a decent payoff. I do think it was too shiny. 
I do yeah. think yeah. it was too. It was overproduced. But then at the same time, it was breathtaking to, to look at. I mean, what they did with Pittsburgh was insane. As far as like the backgrounds go, it was really well I done. Think it was Oh hell! It was uh, actually the uh, the Canadian version of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think they did that what in Vancouver or something. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That's was. what I mean. It's like how they how they recreated. Yeah. Um, like you know, and then you know the scenes on where they were supposed to be like going up Mount Washington, and um, and all yeah. that. It, it. I I don't know. I just I thought it was really well done. But then at the same time, that was what was gnawing at me was that. It didn't feel right because it was too well done. You know, it was too, it was way too pretty. Yeah. But, you know, I, but like I said, I did feel better that we got the big payoff when they breached Fiddler's Green. That made me happy. And I really Definitely. liked the characters. I really enjoyed the characters in that. And yeah. that was a problem I had with Diary. I didn't like any of the characters in Diary. I didn't care what happened to any of them. I mean, it's just the Texas girl was on my nerves through the whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy wanting to film everything, it, was, it felt unnatural. You know, like, yeah. I, I love found footage, too. We talked about that with Troll Hunter. But when this didn't feel like true found footage, I mean, like, they, like the, the scenes in the hospital, everything felt oh, way too set up. Oh, those were so, yeah. Right. My my biggest issue, and this is something that I, I kind of felt with Land and with Diary, was that Land, with his other, or with with Night, with Dawn, with Day, they felt of their era, they had a specific kind of cultural tone to them that you could look back and say, oh, you know, here's this kind of subtle social commentary going on through these films. Land was missing that and i think it was just because you know it, it was in that weird nebulous we're still post 9-11 we're not quite sure if horror movies are okay yet kind of feeling mm. and that kind of permeates that movie it just it feels it feels too well, and there was like the much like it was dippy dippy ending with a, just let them yeah be. yeah it felt too much like there was they yeah it's like you were <laughs> yeah it, it felt too much like he was walking on eggshells with that one and then with with right. diary he felt it felt way too much like he was punching home the social commentary way too much. And it was just like, George, ease it up, please. Yeah. Which is why I enjoyed survival better. Well, he was, again, trying to hook up with where we were at this time and place. Yeah. I mean, and... with the whole found footage thing with YouTube and uh, everybody, they're, they're taking video on whatever device they have at the time and uploading it and seeing how many views they have. I mean, that's that's relevant. It's, Which has been a big Romero it, thing. It, it right. I mean, he always stays relevant to the time, to the current time, and what's going on at the ter- current time. I mean, there really is no timeline in those movies. I mean, there's the perceived, like, I think um, in Land, they kind of broke it down a little bit, but um, or gave you an idea about how long it had been. Yeah, but, right. Um, and he does. I mean, he's always stayed current, and I've always found that I love that about his films. I love that he doesn't try to make it seem linear necessarily. He just goes with what's going on because he has a commentary about what's going on socially at the time. I just felt like with Diary, it was really ham-fisted. Like it yeah. just like he was shoving mm-hmm. it down our throats. And um, there were things I did like about it, definitely, but um, I just really felt like it was kind of overdone, whereas I prefer the subtlety of, like, dawn or day um, 
or even survival. I felt like it was a little more subtle, and he had this sort of like Hatfield and McCoy thing going on, which I thought was was really cool. And and you know the undertones were there, but it wasn't he wasn't beating you over the head with it. And um, I felt like he was doing that with Diary, you know, and it almost felt rushed to me. Like I don't know, everything about that just felt wrong to me. Like I just. <laughs> I came out of that movie going, what the hell did I just watch? You know, <laughs> except for I like little things like the, um, like the announcer, um, the news announcer bit um, that he did. And then the Amish guy was hilarious. That was great. Um, Best yeah. part of the film. <laughs> Samuel. That was, Man. that was absolutely the, yeah, that yeah. was absolutely the best part, I think. Yes. Um, so, you know, um, I, I didn't hate it. You know, I never hated it because I don't think I've hated anything Romero's ever done except for There's Always Vanilla, which <laughs> which he even hates. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that, but it's not it's not his – he had nothing to do with it except directing it, and he doesn't like it either, and there's a reason for it. So, <laughs> and it's not even – it's not a horror film. It's a really bad relationship movie, but um, wow. that's the only thing that he's ever done that I have just flat-out hated, and – He's okay with people hating that, so it, <laughs> I feel okay with that. Yeah. But um, anyway, there I go again. I just <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, please don't be. Um, I get I, so passionate. I'm just like blah 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 blah. I'm the only one here. <laughs> no, this is great. I, I love hearing what you think about this because uh, I, I'm thinking on it, and I cannot wait actually to watch it again myself. Survival. Of course, a movie that uh, I uh, I intended to love so much. Oh, I don't know. I whole thing. I don't know. I think. And I'm thinking I'm gonna maybe watch it with a much more open mind this time because again, I had seen the trailers, I had read the hype about it, and uh, I expected. A much more grassroots George Romero kind of film. And while it had some elements of that, he took some liberties in that film that pissed me off. Which, of course, we yeah. you know, well, the horse. Of course, I can't get away right. from this horse. I mean, yeah, well, you're not the only one. Trust yeah. me, you're not, you're not at all the only one. So, yeah. you know, and I totally get that. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I can't argue. But uh, the I, can't, big... I can't say no. That really makes sense because, of course, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, the horse. I don't remember the horse. You don't remember the horse from Survival? I mean, that stuck no, out to me like I'm a sore thumb. I mean, that was drawing a blank the, on that. The uh, zombie what, what sister. The... You know, there were the two sisters. The, the oh, zombie sister. Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. Kept I remember riding that, her yeah. horse through the whole thing because she loved that horse so much in yeah, life, right. and that was you, well. You know, I. Admittedly, it was kind of a silly. I'll admit it. That was a silly ass idea. I'm not gonna lie. But part of the reason I like what I what I liked about Survival versus Diary was that it felt. First off, he took a more natural, basic Romero storyline for zombies, which is mm. people being stupid and fighting with each other instead of looking at the problems outside and going, oh, shit, the dead are walking around and trying to kill us. Let's keep fighting with each other because that's the right thing to do. <laughs> and exactly. it was the first time since 
since day, really, because I wasn't crazy about the land, the idea of land when he was doing, you know, oh, they're remembering how to do things. That kind of, it never quite gelled in that one for me. Whereas mm. in this one, it felt like, okay, yeah, they're doing stuff they did in life because they remember it. That's not a great, you know, I'm not crazy about the idea, but I liked it in Bub, and it makes sense that you're evolving it now. Yes, the horse was a little silly, but again, it was like, well, eh, the rest of the story is fine. Other than like that's a forgivable sin for me, for as far as that movie was concerned. Wow. And I, I, I ignore. It's like I, I bought into the hype of Diary, and was really disappointed with it. And I had bought into the hype with Land, and was disappointed with it. So when when Survival was coming out, I was like, oh, well, it's another Romero zombie movie. Hopefully, it's not as bad as the last two were. And I was like, kind of feeling like as much as I love Romero, and as much as, you know, and I've I don't know if I've said this on my show, but when I saw Night of the Living Dead the first time, I was probably 13, 14, and it scared the ever-living shit out of me. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to make movies because of this movie. Mm-hmm. So I've been a fan of Night and Day and Dawn, and I've, you know, the when the four-disc box set of, Do- of Dawn came out, I bought it the day after it came out, 50 goddamn dollars for that thing, which was expensive <laughs> as shit at the time for me because I didn't have a job, but... You know, I saved up all my money to get that thing. I've watched it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that movie. I know that movie backwards and forwards. But I guess when I saw Land and then when I saw Diary, I realized that, you know, as much as I love Romero as a director, you know, he's only human. He's not perfect. He's going to make bad movies occasionally. And he's going to make movies I don't like. And when Survival came out, I was like, well, you know, maybe he should throw in the towel but I'll give him a shot and you know, I enjoyed it for what it was. So I'm not saying it was a perfect film by any means, but it was considerably better to me than diary was, but I've only seen diary once. So I'm willing to watch it again. Well, I did like it. on like it more on subsequent viewings. I will have to say that the more I watched it, I, you know, I do like it better now than I did initially. And I felt the same way about land. I, the more I watched it, the more I enjoyed it. So I guess you just have to kind of acclimate to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you feel that way about survival. You know, I don't know. I mean, why? I mean, if it's, if we are willing to accept that Bob can remember how to save and that big daddy can remember how to pump gas Mm -hmm. um, or even fire a gun, then why is it so hard to believe that she could ride a horse? You know, I don't know. I mean, yeah. this is his world. He can do whatever he wants with it, I think. Yeah. I mean, in the world of make-believe, is anything really out of the realm of possibility? That's the Very thing. True. I mean, we are, you know, I think what we forget here a lot of times when we're horror podcasting, and especially zombie podcasting, and, and talking about the whole zombie thing, is that we are operating from the land of make-believe. And, Jamie, thank you for for bringing that up and and kind of grounding us in that because uh it's it's so weird because we are operating in this this nonsensical kind of universe right now that we try to bring so much common sense into and biology and scientific things into where you know I, well that's yeah you know, it's, try it's to remember we're you... we're operating in a whole fantasy thing here so you know, that's what you have to remember as we're trying to, you know, bring this into reality. It's it's not reality yeah. at all. 
that's one of those things that I've always loved. Like you listen to some discussions of horror movies and the, and the people can get so into it. And admittedly I do too, but you listen to some conversations that people have about certain horror movies sometimes. And you're just like, do you realize how crazy you sound when you're talking about a movie where the central plot, I mean, and I've gotten into these kinds of arguments about, you know, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, and you have to take those moments to go, wait a minute. We're arguing about a movie whose central plot is about a guy who guts up and kills people and doesn't die. <laughs> how are we having, how are we trying, you know, how are we actually having this argument right. about whether or not he can actually do this thing when the central point of the story is the man is living, is, is you know, he keeps getting up from being dead. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> Just shut up and enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, the question here is, like, what really gets to you? What what really creeps you out? What keeps you up at night? I mean, you know... Zombie. F- yeah, for me, it yeah. was like seeing the Bill Heinzman zombie, the, the graveyard zombie in Night of the Living Dead, that very first one that you see. I saw him outside of my window, outside of my door, making every single noise, every single creak in the night that I heard. I mean, he, he, it just got to me. And so that's what it is. It's, it's so much the atmosphere. How does this affect you? Does this scare you? Does this, uh, do you remember this like week upon week upon week, uh, after seeing this? And, uh, I don't know, should have George Romero stopped after day of the dead? Because again, I see so much of like day, you know, as, as horror. And gore, and it just freaks me out. But uh, then he waits a good twenty years, basically, before he puts out another zombie film, and it's nowhere near as as good in comparison to Day. So, uh, should he have quit after Day of the Dead? I want to ask you both. Um, is that something that would have been beneficial to his legacy and to maybe your 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 outlook on zombies? Uh, David, you know, what do you think? That is a really, that's a hard question to ask. I mean, that's like saying, should Stephen King have stopped writing writing books after The Stand? You know, it's like, mm. can you, yes, it's one of those things you have to realize that every director is eventually going to, you know, every artist, writer, director, whatever, it's always, they're they're going to produce something great, theoretically. At some point, they will produce something great that you absolutely adore. And by that same means, they're going to probably produce something that you absolutely hate because it doesn't live up to the watermark of what you loved. You know, I loved Dawn, but I can see that it has flaws. And there are moments when I sit and watch that movie and I laugh because the special effects are goofy or you can see, you know, um, you can see the the, the tube running up the, the, the helicopter zombie's leg when he falls off the crates. I've seen the movie enough times to know exactly where it's at. Oh, yeah. But I still love it. Should Romero have stopped? Not at all. He's a different man than he was 20 years ago. You know, he's a different man than he was when he made Night. You know, he's going to change. He's gonna, his, his ideas are going to get different as he gets older. And should he have stopped? No, not necessarily. If he still has the drive, if he can still get up off his ass with his giant Coke bottle glasses and his pack of cigarettes, <laughs> if he wants to go out and make a movie... Go for it, George. Knock yourself out. You know, if you if he can produce a good movie, if it's, you know, competently made, which 
frankly, everything he's made has been competently made. None of his movies have been bad visually. Yes. They may not be great in storyline all the time, but at least visually they're, they're well made. That's what's important. Yeah. It doesn't matter if we like them or hate them. You know, it's the point is still that he's making them and that, you know, some kid will probably sit down and watch land and fall in love with it because it, it speaks to them in a way that, you know, Dawn spoke to us or, mm. you know, Knight spoke to us. And, you know, with something like day, which this is the, one of the funnier things I've ever, I've real, realized watching the internet is that for years until land came out, everybody hated on day day was the, just the drizzling shits. Everybody hated that movie. You know, nobody liked day of the dead because it wasn't as good as dawn or night, yada, 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 yada. Land of the dead comes out and all of a sudden day of the dead is the greatest goddamn movie he's ever made. <laughs> And it, it just it keeps going like this with every you look at any director, you know, you look at someone like Argento or you look at especially Romero, you know, whatever their last thing was they made or, you know, a couple movies back or so that was better than what's out now, because what's out now is crap. And it's just like people are going to bitch for the sake of bitching because it's what they do. So if you wow. like a movie, just enjoy it. Who gives a shit? You know, and I'm. Granted, I'm a I'm a guy who sits on 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 the on the internet and talks about movies every week. You know, I sit here with yeah. Jamie and we argue about movies. It's what we do. It's fun. But I realize that you know what? I'm gonna enjoy movies that some of our listeners will probably hate. I love Sleepaway Camp too. We took a lot of shit for liking that movie. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, we did. You know, and we even this week, you know. We got into a huge debate about Return of Return uh, Return of Sleepaway Camp because I hated it. Yeah, seriously, the first time we've ever like seriously gone head to head on yeah. a movie was Return of all things. It was this Return Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I imagine it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, well, oh, Jamie, it was, it was Jamie, what do you think? I mean, seeing all these Romero films, and I mean with it. Especially the the zombie films. I mean, we don't have to talk about, you know, like Creepshow, Bruiser, Season of the Witch. I mean, crazy films like that that he made. But as far as the zombie thing goes, should he have stopped after Dawn and just let this beautiful thing be, this trilogy, you know, be that he had created? Did he need to keep going forward? What do you think? Um, As far as I'm concerned, he did. I... I, he needed to keep it going. The, that when Land came out, it awakened the geek in me. I was so—I mean, it never sleeps, really, but it, <laughs> it kind of <laughs> revved it up a little bit. I was so excited that another Romero zombie movie was coming out. It's like, holy crap! I never thought this would happen. And then all of a sudden, there were three. And it's—I don't. Even though I wasn't crazy about Diary, the fact that he made it made me happy. You know, I had to drive to Atlanta to see that because it didn't really get a wide release. But um, I was okay with that because it was a Romero zombie movie. If I, as far as I'm concerned, he can make them till he can't make a movie anymore, and I will never complain. I will always look for the next one, and I will be there, you know, and watch that movie because. Even if I don't like it, it's still there. And um, even back, and he's absolutely right about Day. I mean, it was the it was the redheaded stepchild of Romero's zombie movies for years. Everyone came, everyone complained about it, but I'll tell you this: when I saw that movie, I was ten years old, and it's 
scared the crap out of me. Hmm. And I loved that movie from the time it came out because nothing had scared me like that up to that point. And it just, it was so, I think, I never thought Night was really scary because my mom introduced me to Night when I was young. I remember we watched it the first time and she's like, and she's talking about Ben and she's like, um, she's like, you know, he dies at the end. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, <laughs> not really. I'm just kidding. I'm like, really? And she's like, I don't know, maybe. And then I was like, uh... man, and then, you know, he did. And I was all upset. But then it never really scared me because I guess because it was black and white. I love black and white films. I have no problem with that. And I do think they can be scary, but somehow it had sort of a separation from reality for mm-hmm. that reason. When I watched Day, it was right in my face in living color. And, you know, there were guts flying, and, and it was just crazy. Scared me to death. <laughs> and um, so I always loved that movie. And then um, I was really excited when you know, it got a special edition that came out and people were so in love. Because when I was growing up, nobody even, I didn't even know anyone who liked horror movies. And um, so definitely no one who liked Day. And then, like, in later years, as Land came out especially, it started getting a lot of praise. And I'm like, wow, I'm not the only one that loves this movie. You know what I'm saying? And um, so I know that there are other people out there who love survival as much as I do. So, you know, and David appreciates it, so that's good enough for me. Um, (laughs) So here's what I'm saying is I will always appreciate anything he puts out just for the fact that he's putting it out. I mean... He's like my grandpa. You know? <laughs> I, will, I will love anything he does just because he did it. And um, uh, I'd say, I'd say, go for it. I mean, please go for it. Keep going. And I saw a lot of people complain after the last three came out. People were like, I wish you just stop with zombie movies. Don't make any more zombie movies. And I'm like, man, that's what I love about him. You know, I love his other films too. But this is this is what he does. You know, and, and no one does it like him. Even when yeah. he doesn't do it as well as as we'd like him to, he still does it better than so many other people. Right, right. The zombies so, you know. that, that he portrays on film, and I've said this a lot before, nobody does it like Romero. I mean, you see a zombie yeah. on the big screen, and you will not see that kind of zombie anywhere else. I mean, he mm-hmm. the way he... No, and people try, to, people try to fake it, and yeah. they can't. Right. Right. Everyone is has been imitating Romero since Night of the Living Dead. Let's be honest. The whole this whole zombie boom that's been going on for the past oh three, four years. Oh damn, know, ever yeah, since can... night. I mean you're talking sixty eight. I mean it's been like fifty yeah. fifty some odd years now. I mean, you know everybody has been trying to emulate the Romero zombie since then. Mm-hmm. And nobody can do it quite as well as George, even up to survival. And I'll give you that, even though, you know, I'm not a fan of survival. Um, you know, the zombies that I see in survival, that's a Romero zombie. I mean, George exactly. George put that on, on film. You know, he, he was yeah. there. He did that. Yeah. So there's nothing quite like that. Um, all technical aspects aside, of course. And, and, and Jamie, I thank you. I'm, I'm going to watch this again. I will watch survival again, just for the sake of hopefully talking with you again about the film. And, uh, 
maybe I'll have a, a little bit different outlook on it. I don't know. Well, if you don't, I, I totally get it, and it's okay. I just appreciate the fact that you're willing to give it another shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're talking about dead snow. <laughs> this is weird because, uh, David, I was thinking about this, man, because I just, I, you know. And I know, looked it all up. <laughs> no way. I mean, this is, I love this because I totally put this out on Twitter. I'm like, hey, somebody, let's do a segment right now. And, and David responded, and we were just kind of talking about horror and what have you seen. And David's like, yeah, I've seen dead snow. And we started talking about that, and then it evolved into return. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I hooked you up into the, to the whole, uh, you know, Skype thing here that we got going on. And, and I love where we have come to talking about zombies and ultimately Romero and, and how he has evolved through the years. I mean, this is, a, a, I think, a great discussion. So thank you. Thank you both for, no, for no uh, problem. talking with me tonight. And, uh, man, devour the podcast again. A great show. I, I feel like I'm kind of on a on a strange kind of like devour the podcast kind of outtake right here, you know, and uh, <laughs> like after hours, you know, kind of thing with you guys. It's kind of uh, weird that you ended up hooking up with the both of us, and um, yeah. now it's kind of like our show is on your show. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I feel really bad because uh, Mike, you know, Evil Mike from Evil Episodes, um, he showed up here on my Skype thing uh, a little bit later. And I was going to patch him in, but, I, you know, of course, I was so, like, into what we were talking about, and I kind of, I, I never patched him in here. So uh, I hope, <laughs> again, that uh, Evil Mike, you're, you're listening, and that hopefully we're going to get you in on some sort of impromptu, weird discussion like we had tonight, because uh, I had a lot of fun, and I appreciate this, that uh, you guys are willing to... Again, take some time on a weird... I mean, what the hell night is it? Like, Thursday night. Thursday. I mean, Thursday. you know, totally out of nowhere. I mean, you're totally on... You know, David, you're on Twitter, and Jamie, you're on Skype, and it's like we just kind of happen to hook up and, and talk about some uh, really interesting things. So uh, thank you. Thank you again. And uh, Devour the Podcast, again, I love it. And uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so guys, let's... Uh, Let's randomly hook up again and uh, and do this, but uh, it was I love fun. Random hookups. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't we all? Don't we? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I always I always talk to you, Corey. I um, relish every moment I get to. Oh, so I mean, that's very it's, nice. It's awesome for someone to be as passionate about zombies as as you are. And um, like, I don't think I've ever actually told you this, but I I have <laughs> I have a an honorary doctorate in um, <laughs> necroambulate studies. <laughs> no way! Yeah, wow. and um, so I'm a doctor of zombology. I have a little name tag and everything, and a diploma. So, um, wow, it, that is so that is so incredibly geeky. But it was bestowed upon me, and um, I actually had to write a paper to get it. And um, I had to write a paper wow. describing the different types of zombies. And um, how the, you know how they came about, how they um, the differences between them all, and then how you kill them all. Wow! And um, and yeah, it was kind of it was a fun little project. But um, well, thank you for not here. You get all excited about it. You get so excited. Wow. Well, <laughs> I really appreciate that you didn't tell me about that uh, before now because I am so like intimidated of, of <laughs> where you are right now because no no no. Oh man, you you have a piece of no, paper. 
that that <laughs> totally says that you're smarter than me as far as zombies goes. And no, no, no. It's just be safer. Everyone knows that you are the go-to guy for zombie stuff. Ah, uh, the hell you so, say. Uh, uh, you know, I'm in awe of you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. That's very kind. But uh, you know, again, this was a lot of fun, and uh, again, very random. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again. Hopefully everyone is listening to Devour the Podcast. And uh, guys, again, let's uh, let's hook up again soon and uh, and do this. So thank you. Definitely. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I hope I didn't derail you guys too much. You know? <laughs> no, no. I feel bad if I did. Um, and I just blabbed. But I, so I apologize for that. And poor David never got to finish what he was saying. <laughs> I'm sorry, David. I'm so sorry. <laughs> How is this different from any other time we record? <laughs> Actually, the truth is, I'm 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 more uh, I'm more guilty of cutting you off most of the time. I go through the I, when I'm editing episodes, I'm like, oh god damn, I'm such an obnoxious shit. <laughs> like I keep cutting her off. I gotta stop doing that. No, I feel like I do it to you all the time. I do, and then there's my insane laughter that you have to deal with too, which um, you know. <laughs> it's oh, crazy. I that mean, at I... least lets me know that my bad jokes are working. Ah. <laughs> I know I have these crazy peals of laughter that just come out of nowhere, and people are like, what the hell? I suffer from the same <laughs> thing, one... Jamie, so I, I know it. I know it. So, uh, no problem. Anyway. Well, you guys have a great night. Thank you again for... You uh... too, sweetheart. Talk to you later. All right. Good night. I don't believe this. What? Is there something with the camera? Just fix it. She's still moving. I thought they were dead. They're supposed to be. They are. I don't know. She's moving on the freaking gurney, man. Get out of the way. Come on. Get out of the way. Wow. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you. This this epic length that we got going on this week. And uh, to be honest, next week is going to be another long one, which is really cool. But it's just like I, I'm talking with so many people right now and having so much fun. So thank you, Joseph Souza, for coming on. Uh, be sure to check out The Reawakening, The Living Dead Trilogy, book one, which is now available at Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. So you'll find the link on my website. Thank you to my boy, Misfit Boy. Uh, I love you, man. You know that. it's uh, you, you are a great friend. Thank you for reviewing Atrocious with me and, and just talking about the good times that we have together. And I can't wait to see you at the Michael Graves show in July in Cleveland, man. So we're going to be there. And I encourage everybody, if you're... In the Cleveland area, you got that night free. It's like a Saturday night at the beginning of July. Man, come see Graves with us because Michael Graves is a great guy and he puts on an awesome show. So, yeah. But uh, And also, thank you to Cenobite Dave and Maven Jamie for just completely coming on the show just randomly last minute to talk about nothing at all, which, <laughs> again, ended up being about zombies and was a lot of fun. So, uh, again, Devour the Podcast is what they do, and uh, it's really, really cool. They just officially became part of the Horophilia Network, um, which, uh, you know, I'm playing the clip that uh, is kind of promoting that this this week, and, um, yeah, yeah, just fantastic. But uh, I really enjoy that show, and uh, I think you should listen to it as well. Um, and, of course, Misfit Boy, and I, I failed to mention this this time around, but he is on a Little Dead podcast as well as starting his own thing here very soon. So, yeah, 
lot of great stuff out there. Uh, you can find out more about me. Of course, the show is at electricchairshow.com, like I keep saying over and over again. Uh, my personal website, midnightcory.com. I'm on Twitter at, uh, you know, twitter.com slash electricchurshow. Uh, uh, not dot com. Electric Church Show. I'm also on Facebook, so you can go like me there. A lot of places. And uh, you can you can actually find this all on the Electric Chair Show website. So, uh, wow, wow. This has been a lot of talking tonight. But thank you again for listening. And join me again next week for another electrifying episode of the Electric Chair. Yeah.